if you take away the Soviet Union and its chief proxy, the PLO, international terrorism would collapse. If you take out Saddam, Saddam's regime, I guarantee you that it will have enormous positive reverberations on the region. Obviously, we like to see a regime change, at least I would, in Iran, just as I would like to see in Iraq. The question now is a practical question. What is the best place to proceed? It's not a question of whether Iraq's regime should be taken out, but when should it be taken out? It's not a question of whether you'd like to see a regime change in Iran, but how do it... Are there any other nations that you would recommend that the United States launch preemptive attacks upon at this point? Uh, the answer is categorically yes. Uh, the, uh, the two nations that are vying, competing with each other, who will be the first to achieve nuclear weapons, uh, is Iraq and Iran. But uh, a third nation, by the way, is Libya as well. Libya is uh, trying very rapidly to build... Uh, an atomic bomb capability. So you have here now three nations. Let's all stand together to stop Iran's march of conquest, subjugation, and terror. I know that no matter on which side of the aisle you sit, you stand with Israel. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Wednesday, November 29th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. Well, October 7th narrative continues to collapse. I think that's something that's been an ongoing story. And whether we're talking about the discussion around what happened and whether it was allowed, the involvement of Netanyahu or the further aspects of the Israeli government or the idea of, of the provable evidence of how many people they killed in regard to the IDF shooting hostages, shooting any number of different people that were not necessarily Hamas members. All of this has been proven to what degree is being debated. It's being con continually being admitted to more evidence has continued to come out. But as we're going to get into more today, we have another example of IDF members spinning false stories into the Israeli media, one of which was now called out by the Israeli platform, pulling back the story, deleting everything. We have somebody who was part of one of these special screenings who has now spoken out and said, apparently, everyone else is lying, saying that I didn't see the things they claim they're seeing. I called multiple people, including U.S. journalists, and I didn't see any evidence of rape, any evidence of X, Y, and Z, and went off on all the things that a lot of these certain journalists are out there saying. I saw all of it, describing some of the most grotesque things you could possibly imagine, like the cutting out of a, a fetus out of a woman's stomach, and you, except he says that was not on the screening. So it's, it's a very interesting discrepancy. Now, this is a disgusting topic. And the fact that we even have to get into debating whether this happened is only a reality because of the lies being spun by the group are, are claiming these things have happened when we can prove at this point most of them have not. Not whether who did them even just did not happen in the context of what happened on the 7th. Now, that should bother people. 
The, your first response should not be outrage toward me for pointing that out, proving it as a lot of people are, but outrage toward the entity trying to use these horrible stories to, I guess, get you to not acknowledge their genocide or any number of any number of other things. But we're going to talk about that primarily today. I think that's a very important part of this. We're going to go over a few other important discussions, follow-ups to the stories we talked about yesterday that I think are important to continue forward on. Uh, we're going to talk about the Gray Zone article that I touched on yesterday in regard to the child, the poster child, as he called it, for the October 7th discussion. And it's now been proven to have been killed by a tank. This is not even contentious anymore. And then we're going to go over some of the hostage, hostage prisoner conversation and the different people that are the different stories that are being spun and how obvious this is that there's dishonesty. But ultimately, I think we'll probably get into the Elon Musk visit again. I, but the point is, if we've got time, there's a lot of other topics we're going to get into. I plan on discussing Elon's IDF tour, as I'm calling it, because it's really insulting to see how this played out. And the fact that he turned down any kind of visit to Gaza that was offered by other by, by members of Palestine, Hamas members, different groups saying, we'll come look at what's happening here. And of course, that's not important. But let's get right into it today. And I want to start with the clip that uh, we opened up with, which is right here. And this is it's an interesting clip. As I as I wrote, Netanyahu has been maliciously influencing the U.S. government for decades. Not just Netanyahu, obviously, Netanyahu, obviously the Zionist agenda, quite frankly. But obviously, he has been a, an aggressive part of this. We briefly touched on on the last show yesterday the idea that going all the way back to the Oslo Accords that Netanyahu even according to Haaretz, played a central role in inciting the violence that got that prime minister assassinated. And then later when he took power, absolutely rolled out all of the settlement projects, the whole, one of the primary issues that Clinton were more, as I don't think he cared about any of it, quite frankly, but in regard to the deal was making sure no more settlements happened. Netanyahu played a central role in inciting the violence that got the person killed that was driving forward the Oslo Accords and the the potential two-state solution. And then from there forward, it seems that ever aggressively in every way went the other direction. Well, not even to say that it was honest to begin with, but you have to understand he has played a central role in the worst that you, everything you're seeing today and the ongoing escalation of all the illegal things that everybody acknowledges are illegal are, he played a central role in doing these now in allowing and bolstering these things. But as I said, he's played a malicious He's been maliciously influencing the U.S. government for decades, all while pushing for Americans to die for the Zionist agenda. None of these wars have been in the interest of Americans. And as you saw in the clip in the starting to the start. I mean, even the first one, should we get rid of the the PLO, the or the Soviet PLO, basically the Soviet Union's entity, because at that point they were the bad guy. Right. And for the way, for those that aren't aware of the nuance, Russia is not the Soviet Union. Right. So to pretend that that's just the same ongoing, it's not the same thing. In fact, what appears to be the U.S. government that's played that kind of bolsterous, always power, might makes right kind of entity. Clearly, they took that role over. But what's interesting, the reason I say that is because people would simply argue that Russia is just that. Now it's Russia's entity. It's not that simple. It's obviously a different context. The point, though, is if he's sitting there saying, should we get rid of this? You know, the group that they later completely supported. That will collapse international terrorism. Okay, well, the Soviet Union went away. Weirdly enough, that did not collapse. So if your argument is that the Soviet Union was the main driver, well, obviously you are either wrong or lying. 
And I think today we can all see that. It just, it was a can kick down the road. Who was our current adversary? Oh, Libya, they're the one. Libya is the one doing all the bad things. Oh, let's get rid of them. Take, okay, now it's Iran. Now it's Iraq. Or all of them simultaneously. The point is, this has been a constant evolution of continuous lies that you could prove have been based on just continuation of time. Like, Iran's nuclear weapons or Iraq WMDs. These all these are things that largely stem from the Israeli government and are false. And Americans have died because of it. And all of these wars have proven to be disastrous for American interests, even national security. But you know who got ben- who benefited wildly from every one of them? The Israeli government. That's directly from Netanyahu's mouth, saying that all of these things benefited them. Even the 9-11 attacks were a benefit for Israel. That's a public statement, in fact. So understanding this is very important to the larger conversation of what's happening. And again, well outside the context of what's going on right now and even post-October 7th, talking about the COVID-19 illusion, talking about a number of different manipulations that the Israeli government plays a central role in. Now, we'll come back to that, but that was the opening clip, so I wanted to make sure we touched on that first. But I wanted to go over a couple of interesting points. Oral sent me this that I thought was really, it, it almost seems like we should all expect that this is what's happening. Doesn't seem like it's even that hard to wrap her mind around, but I don't think most people are aware of how invasive this is. So she got this. So she, by the way, you, you might not have known she's basically been boxed out of Twitter, like this weird process where they don't have to prove you're a human and it has taken weeks. It's just ridiculous. But after coming back in, it says X has been able to access your entire photo library for six months. Do you want to continue to allow full access? Now, usually what happens with this kind of stuff is that what does say limit or allow, I would argue typically when you say limit that you, that limits your accessibility on the entire platform typically. But either way, the point is when you start accessing Twitter and you check the box for terms of service without reading the 400 page document, like nobody does, well, that you didn't realize that they had access then instantly to all of your different photos and so on. And I'm sure there's ways you can manipulate the metrics in the background and the tabs and so on. But as far as I can tell, you can only allow, you know, some or all photos. But the point is then you try to access them when you're on Twitter. It's, an, it's a convenience aspect. My point is simple. Of all your library, as you can see here, 20,000 photos, none of, the vast majority of which have nothing to do with Twitter. But should somebody at Twitter or somebody controlling through Twitter, Mossad, CIA, or anything else, FBI, they could access all of this. Do you think that they would even balk at doing that? That happened with Apple and the FBI. We've seen how this goes. That's just terrifying. And that's a small, tiny, publicly stated point that that should make you uncomfortable. Now imagine what else is happening. As we all use it, I'm no different. I just think it's, a, you know, and again, but that shouldn't be okay. We should try to, well, and the bottom line is it's not that we're, my point has always been the average person using these platforms, whether it be YouTube or anything else, I argue there's no reason you should be doing so if you believe, if you simply, if you want to change things. If you don't, it's up to you. I'm not, you could do whatever you want. But if you're interested in trying to change the way things are, Using these platforms is more about convenience and, you know, and you enjoy them. You have things set up the way you like for somebody like us in the independent platforms or anybody trying to inform. I think it's important that we maintain a presence on these platforms. The moment these are no longer important to reach the people that are lost. I've said this for a long time. I will no longer use them. I I mean, even right now, I barely use YouTube. I poke it through on the pirate channel and that's about it. I don't broadcast them or advertise. I don't glean in. I don't comment anything. Anyway, the point is, I think it's important that we try to start moving away from some of these, but that's the problem, isn't it? Because most of the other ones aren't even are intentionally held back. I I saw that with super you, right? Malicious activities. 
corporate manipulation, all sorts of stuff that makes sure you are able to rise to the level that can even compete. That used to be called monopoly, but you know they don't they don't care about the laws anymore. Now on on and foreign policy, I thought this was really incredibly stupid. Where nobody's even talking about Ukraine anymore, largely. What's what's incredible to me is how obvious all of this is. That I mean, even the people inside of the you know elitist circles, they must they're not stupid. Some of them. They must be aware that they just on a dime dropped what we were 30 seconds ago told was the most important thing ever. Sort of like the most important elections of our lifetime every two years. Or North Korea is the biggest threat to our democracy until this story starts. And then we don't talk about it anymore. But it was the most important until that started. Why we were in kindergarten. Like that's really lowbrow stuff. That's really dumb that we all can see it seems. And so now what we're being told is that, well, now it's time to end the Ukraine war. Oh, did something change? No, no. Did you accomplish your goals? No, not at all, in fact. So why then is it time to, because now we're focused over here. That's what's happening, guys. That's not what they're really going to say. This Konstantin Kishin, who I'm not familiar with, simply says, I have been one of the most vocal supporters of our help to Ukraine. It was the right thing to do. Sure, keep telling yourself that, Dave, uh, uh, I was trying to remember the guy's name. That's frustrating. You know, the guy during COVID that was like, I'm, even though I was wrong, I was right. And even though you were right, you were wrong. That whole thing, right? It was the right thing to do. Keep selling yourself that as you drop it and run to the next story with no accomplishment and no benefit. And, you know, other than killing a lot of people, didn't stop, even from the, con- did it stop Russia? Did it hinder Russia? Seeing as how you framed them as the worst boogeyman alive? No. Did Ukraine get what it needed? No. Like, point is, nothing they ever set out other than spending money, whatever biolab context was going on, whatever kind of human trafficking was going on, whatever kind of money laundering, those were the things. But it says, but it's time to bring the war to an end. Like, who in who honestly sits there and goes, yep, that makes sense. Just because we up and decided to, because the life toll is too high? No, not even that. Not even claiming, well, we tried and we failed and the lives are too important. No. It says as someone who has been very vocal of Ukraine's fight for its sovereignty, right? Because a a foreign enlisted power of neo-Nazis is totally about their sovereignty. I take no pleasure in writing this article. Indeed, I do so with a heavy heart. But the time has come to end the war in Ukraine, to be clear. None of what follows is to suggest that Ukraine was wrong to defend itself which is not even remotely what they were doing in the ethnic cleansing for a decade before this ever started, that we were wrong to encourage them, that we were wrong to commit considerable financial and other. This person says 5,000 dead for what? 500,000, excuse me, which I'm not even sure is exactly accurate. The point is a lot of people died. And yet we're moving on, guys. I support the current thing. The current thing is what's most important. It's, I mean, this is sad, isn't it? Most people are like, this can't be real. I mean, are, are, are all of the people in power that childish? Are they really all that petty? Are they really all this ridiculous? Maybe, maybe. But you know what I'm happy about? People are actually starting to pay attention. Now, in the COVID-19 era, area, excuse me, I just, these are all, all this stuff, all the breaking stories that are still being circled, which are important. I'm glad people are still talking about them, are things that you saw on this channel in 2021, by and large. For example, and this really started in 21, 2022 for the most part, end of, and then 2022, and now obviously more than ever, excess death. As Simon says, data does not lie, which ultimately is not, I agree with that in the sense that data itself is just benign data, but data can be used to lie. 
but it says, how is it possible that there is no significant excess mortality during the outbreak of the pandemic of the century? Yet it skyrocketed after the global administration of the experimental gene therapy, where we all know this, but just looking back, it never got, it only got more clear as he says, my takes are the follow as follows. Actually, here, let me grab this really quickly. I forgot. I wanted to get that. I think this is one of them. Yeah, right here. Come back to that next. So he points out his takes from why or understanding this. There is there was no pandemic. You know, PIC, PCR tests. We've talked about all of it. Fear and the fatal first treatments led to slight excess mortality in April 2022. Or excuse me, 2020. Now, that doesn't explain it all for me right there, but I think we've gone over all the other things that could have. And again, I'll just point to this now. That's why when Danny Rancourt and I had this discussion with his ex- excellent research, his data proves that COVID-19 is actually an illusion, which doesn't have to mean that it doesn't exist. But that's where I think all of the evidence points today. And the reality being that what we're talking about, again, and that doesn't even have to mean that then therefore aren't viruses. But again, there's conversations that we should be having. Well, my point is the data proves that one wasn't even remotely what they said it was. So it's an illusion, period. But the question is really becomes, did you even need there to be a pathogen? Talked about the parasite stress theory and the reality of government research that proved that they knew all they ever really needed was the threat of a pathogen to drive you to accept authoritarian government. There's been multiple studies conducted by the U.S. government that found exactly that. And look at what just happened. Now, the point is that this is obviously something with the conflation of pneumonia and influenza and COVID, which is the number they were giving you. The PCR test set to high cycle thresholds, guaranteeing high levels of false false positives, you know, just all sorts of these things. It turns out that the data, as we all know, proves that they lied. The question is, was it even actually present? Lies about the supposed asymptomatic transmission of the virus and the fraudulent PCR test made fake pandemic possible. Right. All of these sentiments I expressed very early in this conversation. Animal studies on the effectiveness of the vaccines failed. Nevertheless, they were approved due to political media pressure. Many people like Bill Gates were already privy to the plan. Making investments in early years, 2019, even before, the conspirators are ruthless mass murderers and should be brought to trial. They have negatively affected billions of human lives and more responsible for millions of deaths. Completely agree but this is usually where it stalls, right? I'm glad there are people trying to push forward on some legislation, but it doesn't seem to be happening. I'm not saying we should stop any of it. Keep talking about it. Keep trying. It just it, it just seems we're all becoming very aware of that wall we keep running up against, where it seems that the very same people that are the ones caught lying, who are then putting other people in positions of power to help bolster those lies, are the same ones that are in the positions to stop this from going anywhere. Now, here is a clip coming this to today. I believe this actually came out today. And this, guys, this is what blows me away. Now, the rest of it, we know. Proven this stuff, peer-reviewed science and otherwise. But we we relied to about literally every single aspect and angle of the entire COVID-19 illusion. But you'd expect that now that so many people have seen it, that even the people that were taking the bait Dragged along through four different shots and two boosters are even then the ones going, okay, I'm done. I'm not taking this next one, which stalled at like three, four percent last time I checked. That's with them telling these people they need it. So you don't misunderstand that. The person that has been screaming that you are doing bad things by not doing it suddenly decided to stop. Why? Either they see it and don't want to admit it, or they're starting to feel pretty sick and getting constantly sick. And all sorts of negative side effects. So they just go, okay, wait. So the point is, everybody suddenly started, okay, so that's where we are. 
And then nonetheless, this is what they're still saying. This is today. In death. Our um, vaccines um, are still working very well against protecting severe disease and death. Wow. It remains really critical that those of you um, who are due for an updated vaccine of COVID-19 get that vaccine. I can't believe they're still saying that. Like, I guess this is just about tripling, quadrupling down so you don't go to prison. If that's even on the, in, you know, they even consider that. But think about how wild that is. That's not even the current level of science doesn't even remotely back that up. In regard to the DNA contamination, the onslaught of just horrifying side effects that are only getting worse. And the fact that this is even, I mean, even based on their released information, this is minimally, if at all, effective against the current thing, if especially not before. And then guess what she goes on to say? Um, it, whether it's based on the new um, XBB.1 monovalent vaccines or the vaccines based on the ancestral strain. So. The ancestral strain? Okay, they just removed the bivalent because that was a ter- tremendous failure. They won't tell you that now, but they've admitted that by you know by default, by revealing that even afterward, the reason they needed XBB is because that was actually hurting people. So they all were. But you're now saying that you can go back and get the answer. Where in the world are you even finding that, first of all? Probably all over the place. Here's the thing that fights the strain that we literally prove, if there even any of them there, that this definitely is nowhere, anywhere. And has been continually shown the further away it gets, the leer, the, the, the more and more ineffective it becomes, which then means the aftermath, right? So that's immediately ineffective. But then the aftermath, two, three months later, it gets even further into negative efficacy. Now, the illusion is that that's somehow the vaccine failing. No, that's your immune system failing. They very carefully kind of sleight of hand convince people that it's just, oh, you're boost, you need an updated booster. No, the booster has nothing to do with the fact that your body suddenly starts becoming a problem, that your body starts putting, driving you into negative efficacy, where, you're, where you come across very benign things and you're getting wildly sick. That's what they, so I can't even believe they're still pretending like that thing. Antibody-dependent enhancement, obviously being a problem, that you're taking something for a, like assuming it's even what's there, you're taking something they're telling you is to treat something that is not there. So you're going to make antibodies for something they're admitting is not circulating. Guys, that is like the textbook reality of potentially creating antibody-dependent enhancement. And they're the ones that tell you coronavirus vaccines are prime for that problem. Fauci said it. Many different people said it. I, have the, I don't even think I have it reflexively right here. I was going to grab the one clip I played before, but... Oh, there it is. They're trying to train the body's immune system to target the right part of the virus because getting it wrong can be dangerous. We know that historically yeah, can. with coronaviruses that if you do vaccinate with the wrong kind of vaccine, for instance, in domestic cats who have a similar viral infection, that you can make the disease more severe. Yeah, what do you know? It's almost like this classically held information that we've always regarded as a reality is suddenly ignored by all the people who used to tell you that. How do I mean, this is dishonesty. This is criminality. My God. If you're an at-risk group, if you're of older age, if you have underlying conditions, please. Yeah, all of which they haven't tested for still. Right? If you're elderly, that means, it means, I think it was, uh, Elderly with mul- with comor or what was it? Frail with comorbidities. That was the category, the way they frame it. That means largely elderly. They never tested, never tested pregnant. They've only ever used real world examples after the fact while ignoring all the things that we can all see are happening. Then saying, well, look at all the people that took it and look, you can tell it's safe. 
as they plug their ears and stomp their feet around all we don't see all of the pregnant neonatal issues or the pre the, the early births or the i mean it's, it's absurd so they're telling you all the people that are in the categories that we know are hurt the most by these go out and get it first make sure that you are up to date on your vaccines my god we're still here guys i, I was just really genuinely blow my mind now this brings us into the current conversation unicef just put this out this is two days ago seven thousand six hundred doses of vaccines i wasn't able to find what they sent god only knows were transported to the Muscat Karana Clinic in southern Gaza. Isn't that interesting how you're somehow able to bring in 7,500 vaccines, but you can't get water and food? What does that tell you? Aiming to boost routine immunization. Yeah, make sure you don't get the flu while you're struggling to not to die from starvation. Now, I'm not going to say that it's not important. I mean, look, the idea that, that oh, let's put it this way. The idea, when you say routine immunizations, 90% of those have nothing to do with what they need with what's going on, right? They're, they're, they're going to start, what they're doing is going to cause things like cholera and other different illnesses based on the fact that there's open sewage because of what they have created as the Israeli government and what they have bombed and what they have stopped and what they won't allow. And that, that, that even goes long before October 7th, mind you. But then it goes on to say, which was disrupted due to shortage of supplies and ongoing hostilities. The transfer was conducted as a joint UN mission. Right. So 7,600 Im routine immunizations. I just, it just, this makes me very concerned. Now, what happens all of a sudden if these things get deployed and people out there start getting sick? Of course, they're going to blame it on everything else, right? But shouldn't we at least wonder whether this is some other aspect of the same agenda being kind of shoehorned into what's currently happening? All of a sudden, they all start getting sick with COVID. And then what do you know? Now we have to do something too. Now we have to quarantine them. And in the process, let's move them over here, which is one of the things we're going to get into today. They, re they revealed a plan from the U.S. government to displace all of these people in Palestine to four different countries and pay those countries to do so. Of course, you're not going to hear that on Fox and CNN because they don't want you to know yet. Now, before we go forward, we, we were th the point coming from this is about our current medical system. The, the really what I see as the obvious weaponization of our medical system against the American people, but really elsewhere in the world too, it, from your health agencies, but also from the United States, in fact. So this is important, I think, to understand. And so this point will bring us into the starting point from the Israel-Gaza discussion. But just from a medical standpoint, this is from, this is from yesterday. It says, when does life end? A father didn't believe his daughter was dead. He says the hospital still harvested her organs. Now, this is not even connected, by the way, to the organ discussion I just had. But except for the fact that it just shows you that we're in a very bad way when it comes to how these top-down authoritarian power structures pretending to be democracies are doing stuff like this. That just shows you that you really don't actually have control, as if we, if we ever really do in life. But at the end of the day, that these people are not in your interest. And these, these, this medical apartheid, that's not the best word for it in this case, but that's coming from the other conversation. But this, this medical, I mean, it really is, though, quite frankly, but a medical authoritarian system where you have a group of people in power in these hospitals, or rather specific group of people in power that are dictating what these hospitals will and will not do and what they're allowed to do, coming through the COVID mania, as I've said many times, you're left with all, all the people that were either too stupid to know they were wrong or didn't care. 
Everyone else was boxed out, fired, gotten rid of. So now you've got these power-hungry maniacs, these nurses that will refuse to let your father or brother be a blood donor because they secretly think you're an anti-vaxxer. Disgusting people, even though that's the best-case scenario. So here we have a situation, and my point is all throughout COVID-19 with the injections, with the treatment to families, it's maniacal, malicious. Mike O'Connor had just been told that his daughter was brain dead. Brittany had been in the hospital for six days. One end of the thick blue tube was taped under her mouth. The other connected to a respirator, which pushed into her lungs. And basically, she was on a mechanical breathing device. Each day, he'd come to her bedside to hope and pray that she would open her eyes. And that's where he was, by her bed, when a policeman entered the room at the intensive care unit in Fresno. Mike didn't believe that Brittany was dead. Forcefully, he told the care team that she was alive, that she was fighting, that they just wanted her heart and her lungs, her kidneys for donation. And of course, just many people, they're going to go, oh, conspiracy theorist, until you find read the end of the story, which is literally what happened. He feared that the hospital would remove her from life support and that the donor network West would procure her organs. By the way, which is, which is one of the main reasons, I, even as a young kid, I never, ever allowed that sticker to be in my driver's license. Because that wasn't stupid enough. I mean, that doesn't mean everybody in this process is malicious, but it means that when there's a decision to be made and it's on the fence, like this, where they go, well, he had the sticker, right? These are the situations where we make the call and he's no longer, so we're going to put an end to his life so we can use the organs for other people. Well, that shouldn't be their decision. Even if you put yourself as an organ donor. Now, it says Mike believed the hospital and the organ procurement organization, which is just creepy in and of itself, quite frankly, needed his consent. He wrongly believed that. Yet the hospital had now called a police officer to remove him from her bedside, to remove him from the hospital. He says, she is without doubt responding to my touch, he told the officer. They wanted to pull the plug. I said, no, as a father. He was given three minutes to say goodbye. She was 26 years old, two children. It says Mike wanted the officer who, as he saw it, was charged to do what was right. Naively pretend, naively thinking the police are there to help you to force the hospital staff to hear his pleas. Quote, brain dead patients cannot respond to touch. He said, she's clearly is and pointing at it. Touching Brittany's warm body, he said, this brain-dead patients cannot respond to external stimuli. He says, quote, that doctor came in and started talking to me about body parts and donating them. Think about that while his daughter is still alive, and at least while he's clearly expressing that he's not ready to stop give, giving, he's not ready to give up on her. And they come in and start discussing how to give up her organs. Talk about bedside manner. The police officer told Mike that he was a father too. I don't want to take you to jail, he said. That's the last thing I want to do. Think about this being the conversation. He says, I'm afraid they're going to kill her, he told the cop, the officer. Them pulling the plug on her now would be murder. And now I'm worried about her safety, he says. What do you think happened? The, the officer heard all of this. Listening to the father plead with him about his daughter, who is, you know, technically still alive, on a, on a breathing machine. In the hospital's mind, you're technically brain dead. But who ultimately has the say here? Are you not paying for the treatment? This has gotten out of hand after COVID-19. 
in any number of facets, whether it's chemo or vaccines, where these people have, um, have contorted this system into somehow because they're whatever their liability means in that moment, that they suddenly have a decision over your children. They'll say that, well, they're sick and now they're here. So you can't tell us we'll do what we think is right because we're responsible. That never used to be the way this was. In certain circumstances, maybe. After everything he said, after three minutes, they escorted him out of the building. Now, once he got home, he went to Facebook, screaming to anybody that would listen, tell them not to take pull the plug on my daughter. When he called the next day, they refused to even tell him where his daughter was. Throughout the day, I mean, think about that even. This is my point. They've already labeled this man as a problem. Why? Because he cares about his daughter. And that's inconveniencing them and their organ harvesting process. So, when you call the next day, whether or not you're upset because of your dead daughter or because of what's happening, you think they will look, hey, I'm so sorry. I know this is hard for you. We're going through the process. We're required by law. We took her here. I'm sorry. No, no. They just go, nothing. We're not, we refuse to let you know. These people should not be in these positions if they cannot understand why these people care about their family members. Throughout the day, Mike posted Facebook messages trying to get people to help him. He wrote, finally, screaming, they want her organs. Which, of course, people said, you're a conspiracy theorist, you're crazy, that's not true. What Mike did not know the moment he was posting that is that they had already begun taking her organs. They were already removing her heart and her kidneys and her liver and her lungs, and the next day her tissue was collected for donation. Right, so at what point do you realize that he's right? Sure, you could argue that they didn't do it explicitly for the profit or because they wanted them at the expense of it. Or, or you could argue that they just thought it was the right thing to do, that they just thought that this is what needs to happen and he's too he's distraught and he doesn't understand. Okay, fine. Make that your argument. They still wanted her organs. So they went against the wishes of the father because they wanted her organs. Whether or not it's an altruistic reason is how, how you, however well you want to look at it. No one from the hospital called him. He said he did not receive confirmation that she was even dead until three days later when the coroner called to ask what Mike wanted to do with the remains. This makes me sick. The fact that these people can't understand what he's going through or rather don't care shows you how far this has fallen. This is the problem with the weaponized system. Somebody does benefit from that. Somebody does profit from that. And if that the fact that this is suddenly that being more important. Look, I get the reality that there are people that might die. At least that's, I guess, at least that's how we're told this works. I, I, I actually don't even know if that's really the reality, but that, you know, so there's this kind of minute by minute process where they're waiting for the lung to be able to move to this child over here who's about to die. That's what we all hear on the movies and see on the TV shows, but is that really what happens? I don't know, honestly. Either way, his life and her life and his relationship is all that matters to him in that moment. And seeing as how he's paying for it and seeing as how they don't have the right to make these decisions for his daughter, this should not be the way it goes. But that changed after COVID-19. Whether it was that it actually changed or they just finally admitted to you what they really were or you know whatever that means to you, it's up for you to decide. Now, this brings us into the conversation from yesterday about the harvesting of organs. Now, Jason Bassler's put out a great, a great, clip segment uh now it really only gets into the the two parts i went into here the idea that from the west bank in general israel with two stories really which is just disgusting in its own right 
while they were giving back 116 children or, you know, just young teens and children from being de illegally detained with no charge in Israel for years in many cases. I'll go over briefly again today. They went right back out and scooped up 117 more and still are, by the way. That should be insulting to anybody. What's the what's the honesty of giving these people back? Well, the whole point was about exchange. What, what whether or not you feel is justified. They took these people so they could exchange them for people that were held prisoner, knowing that they just went right out and scooped them up. That's that's almost seems like it's not even the interest of anybody, but other than, other than just saying, "Ha ha, we got one over on you," like that kind of petty action. Now that's in and of itself should outrage everybody. And it's still happening. But the other thought was, okay, well, what happens to the children that don't have parents anymore that were killed in the bombings in Gaza? Who's going to fight for them? Who's going to stand up and say, where is X, Y, and Z? And Israel knows this. So what happens then with these, these people? What happens with the dead bodies they're stealing? Well, I'll tell you in many cases, not all of them. I'm not going to say I know for sure that children will be, you know, I don't know these things, but I'm proposing these possibilities because we've seen what they're capable of. But this gets into this discussion of the children being taken and also the the Euro, uh, uh, what is it? Um, it's right here. Euro Med Monitor Human Rights Organization has exposed and called out that the doctors are revealing that the bodies they were brought back, these ones you can see here in the blue, that's freezing on me. Of course it is. Good job. Were stolen from, that their bodies were robbed. One aspect of the Israel's war that has been underreported in the illegal harvesting of organs by the Israeli regime. Medical professionals from Gaza have confirmed signs of organ theft, livers, kidneys, and so on. Here's the link to the main art show. I think I've got it right here as well. Yeah, those bodies I was discussing. Now let's get into this a little bit more. There's some points I wanted to bring up. Here just again is the tweet, if you wanted to see this for yourselves. As it says, while Western media keeps screaming about Israeli hostages, Israel released 117 Palestinians from illegal detention while simultaneously capturing, capturing 116 more, including children. Oh, and, and then on top, just on that same note, here's an example of Israeli soldiers taking more children, seemingly for no reason, which, by the way, is exactly, a, it is provably something that happens, despite the screamings of the people you might expect online. Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, United Nations, they've all broken down long time ago and right to today that they continue to illegally detain children and adults for no reason, for political reasons, for detention with no charge. That's why they're losing control of the narrative, because people are seeing this, and no, no matter how many times Ben Shapiro whines on Twitter, it's not going to change the reality of this. I think that first part, too, it says, yeah, it says, who is this? You know, who is this kid? Take him, take him, right? We don't even know who he is, but take him anyway. Now, this insulting game they play where they go, he must have done X, Y, and Z. He's probably Hamas. He probably only threw a stone. Well, do you know that? But the kind of disgusting obfuscation and gaslighting of people to just say, you know, it shows you that they don't care. They have chosen the side in the narrative. And that goes, that's not just happening in Israel, it happens in every conversation. There's another kid. Pushing the journalist, you know, because they care. 
another one. What, why are they all children? Can you explain that for me? Why are they explicitly scooping up children in the West Bank? Right. It has been going on for decades. It's not new at all. There's another one. All children. And it, you know, young children. You know, looks like 10, 11, 12, something like that. Because you, you need 14 IDF members. Like that classic image of that beat-up kid with the with the blindfold. It says the youth were taken to the Bab Azawiya checkpoint and held there handcuffed. And what you have to understand, too, they let people, These are those were the journalists filming that. Ask yourself why they would want that. Like, they, because in most cases, historically, American audiences don't see this. And if they do, people add some context that explode. They're all terrorists. They were all trying to stab people. And it, most times, not even true. The point is, they do this to scare people in Gaza and West Bank, to scare children. That's what we've discussed. That's, I think Amnesty International broke that down. The idea of doing this in order to scare the children to stay in line, which ultimately only really adds to the resistance, which they're seeing today. Look at that. All these children. It's funny how we, all these people care about all the children in cages on the border. Odd if those same people could care less about these children. Isn't that funny? See, because those children on the border work for an agenda in regard to your border fence and so on. These ones you don't care about. Another example. Uh, this one was a child. This was today. <laughs> like I'm, I'm going to make a point about this later, guys. Twitter is on a rampage right now. Like this, this is what they're doing. And as far as I could tell, you'll find some graphic, disgusting things. And I'll show you in a minute. All these, you know, the October 7th massacre. There's entire channels that are dedicated. To, and you'll find the worst things on there. Graphic, blown up heads and all kind of stuff. Not censored. Yet anything that even mildly gets into violence from something that exposes Israeli government actions, well, they oh, post unavailable because it violates terms of service. We just don't like to show graphic stuff. Well, it's weird how you only allow things when it sides with an Israeli narrative. And anything that shows you the opposite, which I've shown you many times, I'll actually make a point next, seems like it's being removed. Here, Sam Parker reveals an Israeli sniper, and this, this has been publicly reported all around. Nine-year-old boy. At this kid right here, Adam Al Ghul, shot in the head by an ID by IDF members in the West Bank, not in Gaza, in the West Bank. God, it's just sickening. Doesn't that make you sick? This is just another day for these kids. Sarah Abdallah says Israeli occupation forces today just executed two Palestinian boys in the streets of Janine. They shot them. This is in West Bank. They shot them with live bullets in the head. Nine-year-old and a 15-year-old. Just children. Israel has decided to resume murdering children in the West Bank since it temporarily halted its mass murder of children in Gaza. Now, of course, what people like Eli David will do is go back and find pictures of this kid with some kind of Hamas, you know, uh, regalia or some kind of a Palestinian rap or having them hold a gun. Right. Which immediately means they're terrorist members that should be killed. Right. Eli, of course, that's what they'll tell you. 
Does that mean that if you show an image of an American holding a gun, therefore they're they're a a KKK member, right? Like it's just a, it's this kind of logic is is ridiculous. It's not logic at all. It is broad stroking, and they know that because they these they they're basically telling you it's okay they shot a child in the head because we think they support this bad guy. In the democracy, but in a democracy, that's how that works, right? They assume you work with ISIS; they just shoot you in the head in the street. Democracy, right? No, you're supposed to go be charged with a crime and be brought to a fair trial. But that never happens and never has in in the occupied area of Palestine. I'll never tell you that. Now, we covered this. Israel's open secret of Palestinian organ theft in this show. Number 28, the reality of their illegal settlements. So the point in showing you the children is to show you that they're continuing to kill children. Now, the the reason that's important is because many times these bodies are never returned. And that is where this allegation comes in. And I wanted to follow up on this topic. Please watch this show. I ended it about two hours, and I'm going to try to get a breakdown more so. And again, this clip does quickly go over some of the points. But please watch this. It is an open secret. It is not even debatable. And I'll show you the one that was most important after this. Now, this is from two days ago from Middle East Monitor. Is Israel stealing organs from dead Palestinians? It says, while dozens of corpses were handed over to the International Committee of the Red Cross, which in turn transported them to the southern Gaza Strip to complete the burial process, the Israeli army is still holding dozens of them. So yeah, the, the image you're seeing of all, the, all these bodies, they didn't give them all back. Now, why does that make sense? This is where the allegations begin. Even the ones they gave back, mind you, show evidence of organs harvested. But it says, concern, which, but to me, that doesn't make sense. If, if the argument is they held them, because that would reveal what they did, then why did some of them get returned that did show that? I mean, I, I don't know. That To me, that's an example of maybe this isn't exactly what's going on. But either way, historically, there's an endless amount of information coming from every group, from The Guardian, from Reuters, from Amnesty, from Human Rights Watch. And I want to show you the United Nations post next again that's just the most obviously damning. But it says, concerns about organ theft from the corpses were brought up by the organization, citing reports from medical professionals in Gaza who examined a few bodies quickly after the release. Now, of course, they could lie like anybody could. These medical professionals found evidence of organ theft, including missing uh, cochleus, which was like uh, the ear, that's right, uh, corneas, as well as other vital organs, livers, kidneys, and hearts. They detected several signs of possible organ theft by the Israeli military. Israel has a history of holding on to the bodies of dead Palestinians, explains the Euromed Monitor Human Rights Group. It continues to hold the remains of at least 145 Palestinians in its mortuaries, and approximately 255 of its so-called Numbers Cemetery near the Jordanian border and off-limits to the public. It's very strange. Why would they need that? As well as 75 missing people who have not been identified. According to the rights organization, Israel stores the bodies of dead Palestinians in what it refers to as the enemy combatant graves, but not all of them, mind you, just these specific secret ones, which are covert mass graves situated in particular locations such as closed military zones. That's Guys, that's a crime. They have no rights to hold the bodies of these people. That It's collective punishment, or if, if not, some kind of religious violation. Like these people, whether it's a Jewish thing or a Muslim thing, they, they need, they, it's very important to them to have their bodies dealt with a certain way by a certain time. I mean, really, that's, that's, that matters for everybody. Now, it says there, are, and again, that you can see that as just being malicious, vitriol, right? Vindictive, just wanting to do this to hurt these people. It says the remains of the bodies of the dead are marked only with metal plates in this special secret cemetery. Moreover, Israel has made it lo- lawful 
to hold Palestinians' bodies and steal their organs. In 2019, Israeli Supreme Court ruling permits the military to bury the bodies temporarily in Number Cemetery, this weird location. By the end of 2021, though, the Israeli Knesset had passed laws allowing the army and police to hold on to the bodies of dead Palestinians indefinitely. There have been reports in recent years of the unlawful use of Palestinian corpses held by Israel including, as we talked about yesterday in depth, the theft of organs and the use in Israeli university medical schools. Israeli doctor Miriam Weiss disclosed in her, in her book, Over Their Dead Bodies is the title. The organs taken from dead Palestinians were utilized in medical research at Israeli universities, medical facilities, and were transplanted into Jewish-Israeli patients. Israel has become ground zero for both illegal and legal human organ transaction, transactions. And this is according to a 2009 report by the U.S. CNN network of all places, which also alleged that Israel participated in the theft of organs from dead Palestinians for illegal use. This is the one we largely went over that general topic. <laughs> of course, of course, this is all in this weird look because it's just something they probably don't want. This is funny, but that hundred thousand dollars buys a patient a new kidney. As Israeli man paid $100,000 to broker a new kidney. It says this installment examines two very different stories of Israelis involved in the trade. We went over this in depth yesterday. Showing you there's aspects of international trades involving Israeli units and groups and different organizations. But then specifically Israeli government involvement in Israel and outside of Israel. Yermed Monard confirmed that Israel is the only country apparently in the world that systematically holds on to the dead bodies of those it kills. Now, why would they need to do that? Under the pretext of security deterrence. Well, that's obviously collective punishment then. Doing this to punish them so they don't do more bad things, apparently, assuming they even did bad things, and in total violation of international charters and agreements, of course. Now, here is the one from yesterday that we that's important from 2010 from the United Nations. Again, it's also important to see they start off with prefacing this by saying, Israel's the title Israel Israeli illegal trafficking in organs of dead and kidnapped Palestinian victims. That's what this is called. And it says, as if it's not enough for Israel, and it goes on to list four bullet points. One of them is as if it's not enough to create an illegal state on 80% historic Palestinian land. For those that keep trying to argue that UN is not saying that all of Israel is occupied Palestine, yes, they are. They may not say it explicitly today, but that's always been the reality. 80% historic land, because what West Bank and Gaza were the rest, right? This is all Palestine per the United Nations. The point is, is if it's not enough for them to take all of their land and expel them all into their, and ethnically cleanse and massacres, all the stuff that we know is true, they pretend isn't real. As if it's not enough for them to occupy the rest of Palestine, as if it's not enough for to create open air prisons, as if it's not enough to let loose hordes of marauding gangs of Israeli settlers. That's exactly what it says. As if that's not enough. Now it is the turn of the dead, kidnapped, and killed Palestinians. Their human organs, as reported in the press, can be a source of immense wealth through illegal trafficking in the world market. Israel, Israeli physicians, medical centers, and rabbis in the Israeli army may be involved, according to reports published in the Swedish press and criminal investigations in the U.S. After Israeli physicians remove organs they think marketable, the soldiers bury the bodies in graves that can carry only numbers and no names are put. That's what we just talked about. Lastly, it says we call upon physicians and everybody else to call this out. But fake news, though, right? O open secret. That's what these are. On that note, by the way, 
Not that this is necessarily connected. I just thought this was interesting. And this, by the way, is a developing story. I was not trying to insinuate anything by this, just stating what was being reported. Senior Pentagon official Stephen Hovenak, chief of staff for all military schools and overseer of education of thousands of military dependent children, found that interesting, is getting arrested in this video. In this video, it looks like he's engaging in uh, prostitution. He's been arrested in connection with a human trafficking ring. That's not to say that the video of the prostitution therefore implies human trafficking. Just funny how people assume so much on Twitter these days, a la Twitter files. The point is just to say this is interesting. A member of the military who oversees children is arrested in connection with human trafficking. I find that interesting. I really do believe that the Epstein overlap and all this shows you a very dark network that stems right back to Mossad and CIA that we know exists. And they don't want you to see all of that. Now, on that note, another update that I think is important is in regard to the Wikipedia page that they've now added information back to. I found this interesting, and this will roll us into the conversation of what they claim they're seeing, which is now being debunked by somebody who saw the screening. But as we've shown you before on the 22nd, that we caught the Wikipedia page for the Al-Shifa hospital edited to remove the point that they built a underground operating room and tunnel structure in 1983 under the Al-Shifa hospital. Israel did. And then, of course, as you remember, Ehud Barak admitted that too on CNN. And she was like, did you misspeak? <laughs> no, no, they did it. And then here's a video of Netfali Bennett explaining how they teach their people to edit Wikipedia to benefit their agenda. It's, it's just so blatantly obvious. Now, the point is they changed it to say during a renovation, they built a basement and removed everything else. Now, that was like that for weeks. Somebody notified me. Hey, they brought it back. <laughs> Why does this make sense? This is so strange. So here is the old version where you can see it. This is what it used to say. This is from November 16th. Here's what it says now on the, let's refresh too. Okay. So all this seems to be somewhat the same. No, let's see. The hospital, the project, it's pretty close. Looks a little bit different. I'm not going to get into it now, but the bottom is the important part. So down here it says the architects also designed and built a large array of underground infrastructure, which the IDF later pointed to as basically Hamas, but then goes on to say that the, the it was built by Israel. That's not to say that Hamas didn't add on to it, but the actual underground control center and the tunnels, as they claim, were built by them that Ehud Barak then admits. Here's what it says now. During a renovation in the 1990s, a large basement was added, which the IDF later said was appropriated by Hamas. That was kind of the same. Why would you start with that and then go to 1983 is interesting. Then it says, according to Newsweek, so now they're adding in all these current framings of it. The bunker which is what Ehud Barak, the word he used. See, this is very clumsy patching of the narrative. Constructed decades ago, includes a secure underground operating room and tunnel network. So why you would need to add that when this says it right there, by the way, is very weird. According to the Ehud Barak in the interview with CNN, the tunnels were built in the 80s by Israel as part of a hospital's construction. Well, yeah, that's what we're all telling you. It says in particular, in 1983, they built a secure underground operating room beneath the buildings. Then they added this. According to Israeli officials, Hamas subsequently dug out the original basement, later adding new floors and connecting it with the hub. So what this appears to me to be is the clumsy and embarrassing reality that when they added this part, which went from we built this to no, it was a basement and that was it. When they know everybody saw and everyone's paying attention, they go, well, let's just put them both in there, which seemed to contradict each other. But hey, at least you can pretend you didn't lie, right? The point is, when this came out, and we said, hey, look, they changed it. I mean, you go look at the comments. You saw people 
who dutifully were put to the task and jumped in and said, that never said it. You made that up. You're a liar. Well, okay, well, now they added it back. Now what do you say? That was always there. You're making that up. As we know, Hasbara, propaganda, whatever. They're trotting these people out, and they like Eli, Dave, and the rest, and they go, that's fake news, even though now it says it again. Really embarrassing, isn't it? Well, we also have this point, and I'm going to go into it again, but I wanted to start with this website to make a point about the lies. Because remember, all the information, for those in the podcast, we're talking about this HamasMasker.net website, which is supported and promoted by the Israeli government, and all of these things come directly from Israeli information. Right, That's the only entity handing out these grotesque images. The point was that we caught them in real time. First of all, Max Blumenthal caught the use of this image that was old. I caught them in real time, deleting it from the website after we all exposed it. Israel used an image of a woman from at least 2022 claiming it was proof of rape at the music festival. After it was revealed to be an old image, it was deleted with no comment. This image here, and then suddenly gone. Now, you can check the site for yourself. It's no longer there. And you can look back through archives. Everybody, including corporate media and all the all the same people you might imagine I could list off, were all pointing at this and using that as the proof of that happening. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. What it means is they were using something that wasn't true to sell you on a narrative, which highly suggests that it didn't happen. Again, I was they deleted this. This is my point about the censorship. So this violated the rules. Oh, did it? So that image over there on the on the Israeli page that shows a blown open child, that one's okay, right? But this image of a woman on her back, that one, that crosses the line, right? Apparently. My point is, I think this was deleted because it proved this was from 2022. Now, I was able to find it on the Wayback Machine, March 2022. As you guys all know, for those that haven't seen, I'm just relaying the information again. This is what was a post from this person going, look at what Russia did. <laughs> Same thing. As even the IDF used this before October 7th, claiming something else. This is what they do. Now, the point is, this website. Oh, and, and by the way, here's the, we go over this. Israel caught using an old image, if you want to watch the full show. So here's the website. Seems to be kind of constantly changing, which doesn't make much sense to me, seeing as how there's nothing new in regard to what happened on the 7th, other than what they add and change and alter, which suggests that there's nothing, something, you know, wrong here. But first of all, I looked up this website on the who is kind of, I just thought that was interesting, who owns it and so on. Well, you'll find, if you look up TLAP, for example, you'll see my name and you'll see the, you know, the business location and so on. But I found this was listed as Wix.com and redacted for privacy. That's where, that's where my name would be. Then, you know, that happens. That's, that's not, if some people just don't want their name, but I thought that was interesting. Redacted for privacy, the organization listed as Wix.com. Why? Because the address they use is literally some San Francisco Wix building hub where people can use their little outlets. Seems like a strange thing to do, right? That they're going to build this site that clearly is collaborating with the Israeli government and just build it in a U.S. location out of a U.S. building, sort of like the Project Aerodynamic, right? Where they set this neo-Nazi this Nazi war criminal up in New York with the Prologue Company. Anyway, the point is, I found it interesting. The number did not go anywhere. And anyway, thought that was interesting. Doesn't have to prove anything, but I thought that was, I was looking into it. So and we should keep keeping track of what's going on. Now here is a different point on that note, knowing that they're already altering and lying about the information they're being used. We've seen a lot of these people. Oh, and that was one of the ones, by the way, too, from this image, the guy who we showed you, who said it explicitly described that as many of them have. So he's either lying. And my point is not seeing it on the screening, but claiming they saw this in person. So we know people are lying about stuff. So this is where it becomes important when we get into this guy's statements 
this guy here, Owen Jones, who says that he didn't see any of these things that they're saying they saw on the screening and he was there with them. So in my opinion, this is being proven that there are people being put to the task to literally lie about what they saw. Now, why would that need to happen? Now, this is what this guy says. Louis DeCruz saying, I have just seen the video of Palestinian terrorists. Interesting. Not Hamas, but Palestinian terrorists. You have to realize that not everybody in Hamas is Palestinian, but they don't care. Just like not everybody in Israel is a Jew, but they only talk about Israeli Jews when it matters. That's how this, this is a game. This is a trying to create the dynamic, not about an occupier and an occupied, occupied, but about a, a belligerent entity that wants to kill Jews. That's the way they need you to understand the story. But it's not true. But he's just seen a video of Palestinian terrorists cutting open the belly of an Israeli pregnant woman while she was still alive. That's that's one of the earliest things they floated that was immediately proven to be a lie. Same with the 40 beheaded babies. That is a story from one of these older pogroms or whatever you want to call it in regard to what happened to Palestinians. It's it's That doesn't mean that you can prove it didn't happen now, but we can prove as a matter of fact that was something that was committed by Israelis against Palestinians a long time ago. It's a horrific reality from a long time ago. Now this was floated. And nobody's provided a fraction of evidence to back it up. Now, this guy's claiming forcibly, I've just seen this in real video. He says, and 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 made sure she was kept awake to not fade away and remove her unborn baby. I'm almost lost for words. Yeah, that's horrifying if it actually happened like that. He says, then, I will publish this on soon on October7th.org for everyone who wants to see. He said this on the 25th. It's not there right now. But for now, I have to step away a couple days, all this madness, I'm done. And if you want to hear, if you want to bear witness, which is the thing they keep saying around this screening they're using, how disgusting this is, just read the comments below. Yeah, because that'll prove things to you, right? People's reactions to your statements without evidence. And then it says, for those denying reality and saying international journalists didn't report it, which somebody claimed that that's where it really started from, but there's never been any out proof about this. By the way, the same kind of settler entities that claim the 40 had beheaded babies that was walked back by everybody. And by the way, Biden keeps saying that he says, read this and F you. Cause you know, that's how you respond, right? You degenerate pieces of F. Yeah. That's what we've been getting. Sort of like when you tell somebody, no, the injections are hurting people. You maniac liar. That we, you know, that's it's reaction. It's sort of like when she went out with a sign that says, Jews for ceasefire, and they said, I hope you get raped. Is that a logical and proportionate response? It, it speaks to something else. Now, he goes, yes, the video has existed, and I've seen it. And he links to an article that simply goes, there was rape and stuff, and we can't prove it. That's the, this is, We've shown you this article. The silence of the international community about the allegations of rape. That's what the article is really saying. Okay. So maybe he's telling the truth. Maybe he saw it. But that's pretty hard to wrap your mind around when nobody else has seen it. This person says, well, I hope you didn't see the video of the Mexican cartel by mistake as it has been being passed around as if it's from October 7th. Big surprise. Another thing we keep seeing is just like during the beginning of COVID or even with Ukraine, Russia, people just floating random things and people on one side or the other taking it at face value because they already have decided that's the truth. It happens on both sides. It's as if they were, uh, like the point is simply that there's been other things that they're saying are the facts. Now, here's the website. Go through it yourself. I went through to the very bottom. There's a lot of stuff on here. 99% of it you've already seen. Most of it is unverifiable. 
still shots of bad things or first person video. Now, look, the same thing Owen's going to say. I've never made the claim that they didn't commit crimes. In fact, I think we've proven very clearly that Hamas committed crimes, war crimes, whether on whether killing civilians or whether kidnapping civilians or in any. The bottom line is that they have made clear why doesn't justify it, that they argue that everybody there is part of the occupation. Now, you can decide for yourself if you think that's valid. I, just like Owen's going to say, I think it's an important line that we draw, that there is no justification that allows the targeting of civilians, ever. So the point is, all of this ultimately amounts to bad things happened, but does not in any way prove the main allegations they keep floating to truly justify what they're doing, which is genocide. Now, here is this website. Just kind of the point. Now, this is super pr proving anything, in, you know, definitively. But October 7th.org. And guess what? Everything is redacted for privacy. Everything. It just seems strange to me. Something, there is some entity that is driving these things, in my opinion. You guys can decide for yourselves. Now, B22P points out, well, Owen saw the same stuff you did. Why is his view different? Of course, that he won't respond to, which is very telling. He was all full of vitriol and hate and cursing when people asked him questions over there. And this guy goes, but he says you're lying. Crickets. Very, very telling to me. When people are that belligerent with their responses, but don't respond, that says something to me. Well, let's listen to what Owen has to say. Dilly Hussein says, Owen Jones confirmed after attending the official screening of the events, which, by the way, he also admits that most of what they show is stuff that you can find everywhere else online. He says no proof of beheaded babies, no proof of Hamas killing children, no proof of rape, no proof of beheading humans alive. Hamas asked Israeli partygoers if they were soldiers or civilians. This destroys their app, completely destroys their narrative. And he was somebody they invited, guys. The 43-minute screening was Israel's hand-picked footage to convince the world that the ongoing collective punishment and genocide of Palestinians in Gaza is justified. Owen's request for footage to be handed over to experts to be independently verified is a reasonable and standard journalistic request that's being framed as insensitive or disgusting. While blindly taking at face value things you can't prove that are being used to kill others is somehow acceptable. Now, I'm not going to play the whole thing. It's a long clip. It's the full video, but here's what Owen said from in the beginning. I went to a screening of the 7th of October atrocities committed by Hamas. Now, for context, I went at the request of a Israeli-British friend who I've known for a long time. It was an IDF screening in Westminster with a small selected crowd, including Stephen Fry, various LBC presenters like Rachel Johnson and Nick Ferrari, and journalists from media organisations like The Sun. Now, I thought carefully about attending, like most people. I have a serious aversion to watching people suffering horrible violence. And there is something innately unpleasant about intruding on people's last terrified moments. I've already watched ample footage of crimes committed by Hamas, but I am covering this crisis extensively. And I believed good journalistic practice meant I should attend. I did so with my friend Michael Walker, who you will know from Navarro Media, even though I obviously dreaded doing so. Now, this was an IDF screening, as I noted, and before the screening, a few people spoke, including Sir Mike, uh, Sir Mick Davis, businessman and former Conservative Party treasurer, uh, the IDF military attaché, and also, somewhat confusingly, the founder of Ted Baker, 
Ray Kelvin. Now, the purpose of the screening was made very clear that we were to bear witness, as it was repeatedly put, to the horrors committed by Hamas, but also make the PR case for Israel's onslaught against Gaza. A leaflet handout detailed what I would describe as Israel's official narrative. Uh, it used terms such as Judea and Samaria, which in practice means the annexation of the West Bank. That, that's the terms they used to talk about Gaza and I think specifically West Bank. I forget, but the, the bottom line is these are the terms that they are. This is what will be when they take all of the territory, which his point is it explicitly is discussing an illegal action. Just like the settlements, everybody knows are illegal. They just don't care. They don't do anything about it. Now, the footage was often deeply harrowing to watch, as I expected. Uh, there's a feeling of dread about what might happen, which never goes away all the way through. Now, a significant amount I've already seen it is. An and, and by the way, let's not forget. And this has been stated even by people that are are on Israel's side. The video itself is is a highly produced. It's you know it, it, it's his point about the dread is because there is music, like it's it's designed to put you in a position where you feel like like they can't like. Sh why is it not enough just to show the terrible things? Like it, everything they're doing screams an effort to manipulate, in my opinion. The public domain, a significant amount of it, and confirms Hamas as I expected. Uh, there's a feeling of dread about what might happen, which never goes away all the way through. Now, a significant amount I've already seen, it is in the public domain, a significant amount of it, and confirms Hamas committed war crimes, as I've always been aware of and been clear about from the start, as I said. Which I agree with. Now, the point, though, is that why then, after 50 plus days, are we, why are they still showing the same stuff, which the vast majority of is already out there? You'll hear him say in a second that they admit, they claim this is just what they've selected. They've got a whole, whole lot more that they haven't released. Well, okay, then why would they release the stuff that, as he'll tell you, is doesn't prove any of their allegations and is, by the way, the stuff that we can find on Twitter anyway? What does that suggest to you? Think. It clearly, to me, suggests that they don't have other things that are more compelling or more convincing. Otherwise, they would release the things that you have not seen for the people that are the journalists. I think that's very obvious. ...on Sky News three days before the attack. Uh, so three days after the attack, no cause on earth justifies the killing of civilians. Yes. A basic point of principle, which, of course, I will always believe in. It's amazing that anybody can make an argument otherwise. But just realize that makes you a pretty detestable person to somehow rationalize the directed killing of civilians, whether it's because this is an occupation or because in reverse, it's because they support this person, they voted for that person because they didn't choose to leave. Like, it's just, it's grotesque. And this is what we've been saying from the beginning. Anybody with a soul and a heart has been saying that from day one. And none of that is to say that that means we agree with this or we deny that. That's just dumb framing over the very basic and real basic statements that we can all prove are real. Now, the film consists of clips recorded in GoPros worn by Hamas, CCTV, mobile phones, and car dash cams. Now, by the way, I still don't know why that makes sense. Obviously, it does appear that they were GoPros, but to me, that's very weird. What's the net? What is the what's the purpose? Maybe there's a military purpose. I mean, we know that all militaries seem to do that for some. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's it's just simple military practice. But it makes me wonder if there was more coordination to this, right? The, to the maybe to the larger point of some people's minds that this all is an orchestrated event. I mean, who knows? I just still find it very strange they would wear GoPros that seems to undermine the security that they do compel that they clearly act with everywhere else.
Just want to point that out. But yes, there were obviously GoPros. Splice throughout is audio, which we are told comes from intercepted Hamas communications, which I'll come on to. Now, it was 43 minutes long. We were told that this was only a small glimpse of the thousands of hours that Israel has in its footage. Right. But clearly this footage hasn't been selected at random. You would expect it to be the worst material that they have. That's not actually a criticism. You'd expect any state um, to do the same. But a genuinely independent journalist or historian wouldn't conclude they could assess accurately the full nature of what happened on 7th of October from this selection. That said, that's, that's important, right? So uh, first state, stated very plainly, what they presented in no way confirms their allegations. And equally, not all horrors will have been recorded. Now, True. all of the footage and audio in the possession of the Israeli state should be given over to independent journalists and professional analysts. Okay to build a fully accurate picture of exactly what happened that day. Now, this should not be regarded as a controversial thing to say. In any other circumstances, people would regard it as a very obvious statement of basic journalistic practice. Now, I understand why many loved ones do not want the footage released publicly, which must be respected. That doesn't mean, of course, that the material can't be confidentially shared. Now, the video begins by stating that 900 Israeli civilians and 300 Israeli soldiers were killed on the 7th of October. I th- we've already proven that's not correct. It, it's way more than that in regard to both, well, specifically IDF. How many were settlers? How many were police? I think that changes the whole dynamic. But the cradle broke this down before we had the full number. And that was, I think actually that per- pertained to the 900 specifically. And that meant that was about half of them were IDF. And it, what, the more, whatever were police and settlers changes that too. But that definitely changes the whole discussion. Now, as he also points out, and I, I think that's an important point that I haven't made a distinction on that I think is to make very clear. I've, I've made the, the obvious point is that if they're IDF, if they're military, that makes them a military target. But, and this is, I've always felt this way. I just want to make sure you guys hear this. If they're unarmed, per the Geneva Conventions, they're they, if being shot, that's still a crime. I, I mean, I would think that's obvious, but I, in case you didn't get that, that's, that's an important reality. So civilians always off the table, but if you're in ba- you know, like basically, or by the way, in <laughs> the truth is though, that basically no military in the world seems to honor this. It seems anymore. If somebody were to throw their guns down, let's say, let's say, I forget, I give up. Well, you're not allowed to kill them. And that's when you're supposed to take them and treat them with the, all the respect and blah, 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 which doesn't seem to happen anywhere, but you know, maybe, maybe apparently safe for Hamas prison cells, but that's what we've seen so far. Who knows what the rest of them are being treated like. As I keep saying, Hamas and other armed groups committed serious war crimes. That includes killing innocent civilians and the taking of hostages, which is itself a grave war crime. None of my following comments detract from any of this. For me, the worst moment was two little boys and their dad running in their pants to a shelter and then a Hamas gunman throwing in a grenade. Their father is killed. They are injured. You see them traumatised. You see them sobbing, asking why they're still alive. And then a Hamas gunman callously takes a bottle of Coke from the fridge in front of them while they sob and wail. Now, I haven't seen that, but if if the the point is he's claiming he saw a Hamas member, which, I mean, I don't know why anybody would really dispute that, right? Especially since their framing is that they regard all of these people as, you know, violating them and their, their sovereign, which, you know, to a degree, there's an argument to be made. But that does not mean that you should be treating these people as war targets or even just with with disrespect, right? I mean, it's, it's just it's it's almost weird how it's treated as naive or somehow impossible that we, that we should treat each other with respect, even if we're enemies or you know so on. It's it's interesting. Now, of course, there's obviously lines to certain things, but nonetheless, the, the point is obvious. 
if that did indeed happen the way you described it, yeah, that's that's disgusting. And that needs to be addressed. But equally on both sides, because obviously that happens as a matter of policy on a daily basis to Palestinians. It's not what about ism, it's just being honest and objective. Equal application of international law. Good place to start. Hideous to watch and will stay with me for the rest of my life. No question about that. You oh, that's a good point, actually. I poke smart. I was like, his name says, uh, again, where did the Hamas pro GoPro videos come from? That's a good question, isn't it? Are we to believe that they just sent over all their GoPro videos? That's a great point. Like something about that just really doesn't add up to me. The terrified party goers hiding in some sort of container and then many grievously injured and presumably killed after a grenade is thrown in. Now that video, you can't, I don't think we can prove who actually threw that. You can see a person, but my point is if we do think there's involvement, why is it that far-fetched to argue they could have dressed up like Hamas? I'm not saying that's what even what I believe or what we can prove, but obviously we should ask these questions if we've gotten to the point where we're proving that they deliberately shot their own people, that now we're going to get to a point in a minute where it seems they're deliberately covering that up, burying the cars before people can investigate. Like, this is all happening right now. A group of unarmed soldiers, female soldiers, are shot dead while hiding in barracks, uh, even if they're soldiers as the geneva convention states killing or wounding a combatant who having laid down his arms or having no longer means of defense has surrendered at discretion is a war crime mm-hmm. as i've said hamas i keep saying committed terrible crime and, you know another point that we should insert right there and this is the game that they always play while projecting their idea of altruism and freedom and blah 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 but then the moment bad things happen they go but they did it first okay well then just admit that you don't care about any of those things then like, it's not that we have to be good as long as they're good. The point is, if you're projecting yourself as something better, right, civil society and all this stuff, you don't go, well, they use cluster bombs, so we will too. That just means you're as bad as they are, right? So the point is, if we're going to project the idea that we'll treat prisoners with respect, that we will not harm civilians, that we won't target protected areas, we don't just go, but they did this, so we'll do it then. Just creating an asterisk or a loophole. It just means you're just as bad. I think that's what we're all starting to see. That doesn't mean you, Israeli or American. It just means their governments are that bad. And you are if you support them. Some high-profile claims are not substantiated by this footage. We were told that there was large-scale beheading, including the beheading of 40 babies. Now, in the footage we see, a dead soldier is beheaded, grim enough. I looked away, couldn't watch that. But not the same as beheading as a form of execution. The other, obviously, deeply unpleasant exception is an unsuccessful attempt to behead a dying Thai migrant worker. Now that video has been disputed on who is actually doing that. So at at this point for me, that one seems up in the air, right? The allegation was that was a Hamas member, but I believe that that one, now some of these things I haven't seen since the first week or so, but my point is that that one I believe was disputed, but the real point is I, I don't think anybody should dismiss that Hamas committed crimes. The real point of this is whether we can prove the larger allegations that are the central points, right? The, the linchpin to the larger argument for why this is justifiable because of how horrible it was. It was horrible regardless, but to create atrocity propaganda to overshadow your atrocities is what's really happening here. With the garden implement again, hideous to watch. If living people were beheaded, otherwise we are not shown that in any of the video footage. If there was torture... Two, there's no evidence given for it on camera. Uh Now, if there was rape and sexual violence committed, we don't see this on the footage 
either. Now, right. warning here for deeply distressing. Dist and you've seen the, the procession of them coming out saying, we saw it all, rape and beheadings. You've seen it. Are they all lying? Seems that way. Description. But a clip of an Israeli woman inspecting a badly burned woman's corpse to see if she was a relative. Um, she had no underwear. This has been offered as evidence of rape, but that's not what you would consider conclusive evidence. We don't see children being killed. Hamas don't kill those poor, those two poor little boys, for example, certainly not on camera. And I imagine we would have been told if they had been killed. Now, I am aware of someone at the screening who claims we did see children being killed. Um, this surprised me because the one thing I would definitely remember is the killing of a child. So when I asked them, they said there was footage of Hamas terrorists screaming at a young girl of around 10 years old. She was hiding under a cupboard or perhaps a table and then they shot her. That wasn't... I haven't seen that. And I've looked through everything on the website. My recollection, I asked Michael Walker, he couldn't recall that either. So I messaged a US journalist who watched the same screening across the Atlantic. And they said they couldn't recall this either. Isn't that important? So he's confirmed this with two different journalists in two different locations. None of them saw that. Yet this Israeli journalist, oh, yep, yep, we saw it. And explain and describe something that goes through the website. If you've got the stomach for it, you won't find that. Nor the video of the, of the woman's stomach being cut open that he claimed he was going to add because it's proven and you all need to shut up about it. None of them. That beforehand, the IDF spokesperson explicitly said they would not see children being murdered. So, okay, I should have let it play right there. So we said before it starts, the IDF explicitly says you won't see that. So if they told you you wouldn't see it, they can tell you they didn't see it. It's obvious this other guy's lying. That needs to be clear. And then adds that there was a scene where someone hides under um, in a room and is found. It's not clear how old they were or whether they died. But so there, so right there, the point is simply that that person adds the context himself. Why? Probably because the IDF said so, or because the Israeli government adds that. So yet again, you're being shown something without the context they add. You don't know, but they, they, they shot her after that. I was told or whatever you want to add. The point is that is what we're actually dealing with here. At this point, 50 days later, we need to realize what that shows us. We're being lied to. Because there's a lot of shadow and it's hard to work out what's happening. That's how they recollected it. Now, we see bodies, photos of bodies of children with their faces blurred. Again, horrible enough to see. If they had been intentionally targeted by, targeted by Hamas, that's not filmed. You do see, for example, on the other hand, a family dog being shot dead. Now, again, this isn't to say that none of this happened. It's just not in the footage which has been provided by the Israeli authorities. Now, I'll leave it there. Watch the whole thing. It's important, right? I mean, I, I, I think it's very, I respect his balanced take and the fact that he's making sure to be objective. Like, it's very rare these days in general. But he's telling you that he didn't see any of that. Now, interestingly enough, he mentions the dog. I'll get into that in, in a minute when we show the actual hot, the released prisoners in regard to how I'm just trying to be consistent with the words. Get, you know, so many things flying around. Let's just say prisoners. The point is that they're one of the ones that was recently released, still has her dog with her. Are we going to pretend that the Israeli government would allow a Palestinian to keep his dog the whole time? I think we all know that's not true. Now, Jer Jennifer Say just posted this saying, again, same thing. This is, this is from the 27th, the Washington Post. Here's the actual article. Oh, hold on says Israel investigates the elusive and horrific uh, 
and horrific enemy rape as a weapon of war. So the article is literally only saying investigates. Hold on, just lost my place. Oh, oh that's right. We're way over here. So this article is not proving anything. What they're saying is we have what we're being told is what. The, so the IDF and the Israeli government are relaying what they found. It's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. Here's an image. Here's what we saw here. And, the, and you read the article. Israel says is the point. Doesn't mean it didn't happen, but it means we can't prove it, especially since we've caught them lying more times than not at this point. But here's what it says. They cut off. Li- they cut limbs and genitals. They raped. They abused corpses. There were sadistic sexual acts. Well, all of these things have at the very least been shown to not be proven by what you're saying you saw. How does that make sense? And this is that same IDF woman who states all these things that we can't prove. I saw this and I saw that. The UN, what they're doing is they're calling out the UN. Can't muster a statement condemning what? Allegations? And what world do you live in where people condemn unverified allegations? It's crazy. Now, here is Robert's article all the way back from October 13th. Beheaded Israeli babies, raped women, and other disinformation to justify Gaza massacre. His point was not that they didn't happen for sure, but at this point, you couldn't prove it. That hasn't changed. He just put out the new one about the hospitals and their bases, breaking down all their lies. He's got a new one coming out soon as well. Now, here is an IDF member being caught lying by another Israeli journalist. Mohammed Shihada points out an IDF officer claimed he saw a row of murdered Israeli babies hung on a laundry line on October 7th. Apparently that one didn't make it out to the mainstream, right? But this is my point. This has been an agenda from the start. The interviewer, Yishai Cohen, now says the story is fake and deleted it. He adds that it was the IDF spokesperson who tricked him into doing it. It's just images he shows. And then the actual clip. It's all, it's all in Hebrew, so you can't hear it. I'll get to the point. So this is somebody else asking about it. I'll show you these. Because you know we don't just go off screenshots. This is in the Twitter files. He adds, from an Israeli friend, it says, quote, the officer, Yaron Bukila, is head of the Hibbit Shonistism. I'm not sure what that is. An organization founded by foreign money that spreads Russian propaganda and is also in very close contact with Netanyahu. He held a number of meetings with them in the last two months only. Down here it says, number three, another tweet from the interviewer admitting, quote, I was wrong for thinking the army officer was a reliable source that wouldn't lie. Here's the tweet directly from the journalist himself. Here is his, let's look at his bio. I think it just simply says, uh, oh, Shabbat Square. But this, this is a, a journalist, a local Israeli journalist. And it says, as I emphasized yesterday, so this person basically calls it out saying, Was this fake? Like, how dare you post this? And he simply says, as I emphasized yesterday, written in Hebrew, the interview was offered to me by the IDF spokesperson. So this is IDF caught in real time, blatantly lying. It says, I did not know the interviewee before. A representative of the DOC was present in all the filming and approved the broadcast. This wasn't a mistake. It was a deliberate misrepresentation, deliberate lie. In other footage, when there were comments, they asked to be edited or avoid or avoided. Like, how do we not? Everybody must see by now. This is a class. This is a wag the dog, false flag agenda to lie about what's happening. So at that point, we should then be go further and ask, did if the, for, the bigger ones don't seem to have even happened. But what about the other things? 
Now that we know that it's been admitted that they shot their own people, what about the things they do say they can prove? What of them were conducted and done by the IDF themselves? Simple question. Not saying I know that for sure. We need to understand these are valid questions with what we now prove. After posting the promo, he says there were complaints, so he immediately deleted it within minutes. And yet, even this morning, the IDF spokesman refrained from claiming that the story was a false story. By the way, the interviewee insists the story is accurate and there was even another witness to this. But the point is, he has now proven himself that it is false. He deleted the story and you could go through his timeline. The point is, this is a fake story that does not, and by the way, don't you, the point of babies hung up on a laundry line. The point is, this was from the beginning. This is at, this was the 40 beheaded babies contorted in a little different way. But the point is that they're all trying to lie to you. And really, here it is right here. If you want to, if you speak Hebrew, you can listen to it from, for yourself. Think about how crazy and obvious this all is. Now, we've already talked about many times October 7th. This was our coverage from the Gray Zone article on the 27th. Where is the article from Haretz where they've confirmed that, yes, it also shows that the, the helicopter fired on people at the festival. That's a fact. They can't deny. We have the members of the, well, the leader of the security team at Kibbutz Be'eri telling you that they shot hostages. We have partygoers who admit this. We have people interviewed on Israeli radio and Haretz telling you all of this, and they still deny it. They've, now they're even going out of their way to try to get Haretz removed because they're not towing the line. We have the other example of the tank driver, uh, the, the two young girls who drove the tanks who fired on the kibbutz, admitting, as you can see in this image right here, or this one actually. It says, are there civilians, they ask. And he says, I don't know, just shoot. Now in this, she goes on to say, well, I, I, I wasn't sure, so I instead opened fire with my machine gun. Like, that's better. But then the point is, he goes on to say that, yes, they fired both projectiles and machine guns. So, yes, it's all admitted in real time. But here is a new update. I was going to get into this yesterday, but I wanted to make sure you saw this. Another one from the Gray Zone. I invited Max on for an interview, by the way. Now, we've, you know, definitely, I've never shied away from my critiques and my issues. But my, and I, I, I reached out and I said, look, I know we've had differences in the past, but I, I obviously think your work in this content, this, this topic is important. And I think you've been doing good work. Just as always, showing you that to me, the only thing that really matters is the truth. Regardless of disagreements and different things, that is what you guys should all want. The point is, on November 25th, he wrote, Israeli October 7th poster child. One of, the, one of the girls that they were using from the very beginning to say, this is one of the girls they killed. This is why we have to get rid of Hamas. Was killed by a tank from the IDF. Per eyewitness testimony. It says, in a desperate bid for international sympathy, the Israeli government has sought to stir outrage over the killing of a 12-year-old girl during the Hamas-led attack on southern Israel on October 7th. Quote, this little girl's body was burned so badly, yeah, we know how this goes, that it took forensic archaeologists, by the way, which we read in the beginning, which I made a point about. Archaeologists? What are these, dinosaur bones? It's, it's, not, a, it's not an archaeologist, but it's a weird way they frame it to make it sound like it was so, so intricate and... The point was the burned bodies were only burned because of their firing. That's what has been proven. But it says they were burned so badly that it took more than six weeks to identify. And remember, they claimed that 200 of the Hamas members that were burned so badly were their own people because they were burned so badly. But I guess they didn't realize that inadvertently admitted that they had killed hostages too, that they conflated them because they were right next to each other. 
It says all that remains of a 12-year-old is ash and bone fragments. Well, that's what they said about the girl that was recently returned, too. So who knows what you can take at face value from these government liars. I think, quite frankly, they thought that they killed a lot of them by their bombing in Gaza, that they killed many of them when they first tried to leave in the first place, and that they never expected any of them to come home. That's what I kind of been getting from the way they've been conducting this. And now the ones that come home sure are showing us why that is, telling you the opposite of what we're told. But it says, uh, Aviva Klampus, a former speechwriter for Israel's United Nations mission and one of the country's top English language social media propagandists, claims on Twitter, quote, the terrorists massacred all of the uh, Hetzronis, then torched the building. These, were these are the innocent people in there with Hamas. Naftali Bennett, the former Israeli prime minister, chimed in to proclaim that Leal Hetrozi, the family of Kibbutz Be'eri, was murdered in her home by Hamas monsters. We're fighting the most just war to ensure this never happens again, except in Gaza, right? Because that one, that one's okay. Leal Hetrozi was among the non-combatants killed in Kibbutz Be'eri when the small southern Israeli community was momentarily taken over by Hamas militants seeking to captive, seeking captives to spur a prisoner exchange. During the standoff that ensued, she was killed instantly alongside her twin brother, great aunt, and several other residents of Be'eri, not by Hamas. However, it says, well, in, in, I, in the cases we can prove, I'm talking about her, but you could argue that some of them were killed inside the home before they bombed it. That's certainly possible. However, it says the 12-year-old 12, 12 Hetrozi was not slain by Hamas. According to new testimony by an Israeli eyewitness to her death in particular, she was killed by an Israeli tank shell alongside several neighbors. It says, after Porat was freed from her captor, this is Porat's the girl, woman that spoke on the record with the, I think, both Haaretz and the radio station. And I think there's even, no, I think Electronic Intifada shared her interview. I don't think she spoke with them. But maybe she did. I, I forget how that went. But it says that she was freed and her captor surrendered. The Hamas member. She said 14 Israelis remained hostage under the guard of 39 Hamas militants inside this home. Among those left behind, she said, were the twins, the, the, the Hetrozi twins, the children, along with their great aunt and guardian, Ayla uh, Hetrozi. Now, he mentions those, the, two, uh, the, the two boys, different examples of children that were not just indiscriminately murdered because they want to kill all the children. You know, the thing we currently see happening in Israel, or rather occupied Palestine. Quote, it says, I sat there with the commander of the unit, Porek recalled, and I described to him what the house looks like. So she's outside telling the Israeli soldiers and where the terrorists were and where the hostages were. I actually drew it for him, like literally drew it. Look here on the lawn. There are four hostages that are lying this way on the lawn. Here are two that are lying under the terrace. And in the living room, there is a woman lying like this and a woman lying like this. She says, I tried to explain to them where they all were. It says by 4 p.m., a gun battle began to rage between the militants inside the home and the Israeli special forces stationed across the street. After failing to dislodge the fighters with kinetic action, which doesn't seem to typically work with a hostage situation. Everyone knows that. The Israelis called in a tank. Okay, so you know there's full... there's. Israeli citizens in here. For those that think it's more important, Israeli Jews. And you pull up. She tells you they're in there. And you begin firing at the house. Okay, because that makes sense. No, it doesn't. 
But then after apparently not trying to do anything else, you call in the tank. From across the street, she heard two loud explosions. The tank apparently had already fired a couple of shells into the home. Lying down outside the house was her partner, Tao, another man named Tao. So basically two people named Tao and the couple who owned the house, Adi and Hadas Dagan. There were also the 12-year-old twins, the Hatrosis, along with their great aunt. That's where they fired the tank, mind you. When the dust cleared, only Hadas Dagan emerged from the house alive. Porat and Dagan later told her, quote, Yasmin, when the two big booms hit, I felt like I flew in the air. It took me two to three minutes to open my eyes. I didn't feel my body. I was completely paralyzed. When I opened my eyes, I saw that my Adi was dying. Your towel was also stopped moving at that point. Dagan confirmed that the tank shells killed Leal Hatrosi. Hatrosi, that's interesting. Hatrosi. The girl did not stop screaming for all those hours. She told Porat, referring to Leo. She, this is the point that makes it very obvious. So this, this sad reality of a young child who is scared enough being taken hostage. She's screaming in the house. She says she didn't stop screaming the whole time. She didn't stop. So that means the Israeli IDF can hear her. It says, but she didn't stop screaming. But when those two shells hit, then she stopped screaming. And then there was silence. About as clear as it gets. They murdered her with these shells. Hannibal directive. And then blamed it on Hamas. Porat concluded. So what can you take away from that? That after that very massive incident, the shooting which concluded with two shells, that is pretty much when everyone died. Dagan emphasized to Porat that one of the hostages had been intentionally killed by the Hamas fighters. There were no executions, excuse me, quote, there were no executions or anything like that. At least not the people with her. Wait, so it says, Dagas emphasized that none of the hostages had been intentionally killed by the Hamas fighters. Okay, I read it wrong. That's what I thought it said. So they're basically saying, look, nobody was killed by these people, at least from what we saw. We're getting that everything we hear from the people that were there is the diametric opposite from what we're being told by the Israelis. There were no executions or anything like that, at least not the people with her. So that's them the saying that nobody does. So that means everybody was killed by the tank. In a separate interview on the 15th, Porat insisted the Palestinian militants did not abuse us. They treated us very humanely. And this is why they're trying to put these people in institutions, which is what's happening, mind you. The people from the, the festival have been, many of them have been in, uh, involuntarily committed because they're having mental problems. So we're told anyway. Max Blumenthal writes, as evidence of friendly fire killings on October 7th mounts, Israel now plans to, bu to bury the cars that we saw containing important forensic evidence, which were burned in southern Gaza. You know, the cars that show the burned up bodies, which we know Hamas wasn't capable of doing at the time. So it's just blatantly obvious. They know that. People are starting to ask questions, but they probably didn't expect. So what are they going to do? Bury the evidence. It will shred the cars completely before that says it, they will shred the cars <laughs> because that makes sense completely before burying them as to be environmentally friendly as possible. How pathetically obvious is that? Plans to bury hundreds of cars with ashes and blood stains. In order to save space, they will shred them. This is this is a cover up in real time. 
According to the Jerusalem Post, quote, to preserve the sanctity of those murdered by Hamas for the first time since the establishment of the state, they decided to bury the vehicles. Oh, and this is where I was saying that before. So we are, we just talked about this. The, the link is right there. Music festival massacre survivors involuntarily committed due to mental breakdowns. As I simply said, or they're saying things we're not supposed to hear. I know that's happening to some degree. If you think they're not capable of doing that, you're not paying attention. Now, on the note of censorship here, Mohammed El-Kurd points out, these awful gut-wrenching images must be seen. The Israeli regime is bombing and burning Palestinians with intentionally prohibited weapons and are, that they're financed by your tax dollars. Zionism is a death cult. That's what he wrote November 8th, but unavailable because the post is now gone. Well, first of all, you can prove this. Again, here's October 12th. Here is earlier. This is going all the way back to 2009. Israel's unlawful use of white phosphorus. October 12th. White phosphorus used in Gaza and Lebanon. In any one of these individual crimes would be shouted from the rooftops for a decade about Iran or about Syria or about Russia or about China. But you can have provable mounting evidence over the process of decades from the very groups that we're supposed to tell us to look to and nothing ever happens. It's just that bad. It's so obvious. And the point, so we have this being deleted. So you can't see it now. It's gone. It's not like it's just being, you know, blocked. It's just violated the rules. Again, the point is, well, some of them seem not to. Now you can look. Here is never forget October 7th massacre. Right. Never forget who actually killed any of these people. Now, I don't want to go through it all because it's no point in just showing graphic things for no reason, but there are plenty of them. There's one right there. My point is, scroll through this. You'll find all of the worst things you've seen everywhere else. So why is it okay for Twitter to allow those to be publicly accessible, but evidence that continues to show crimes that we can prove were committed by Israelis are deleted for, you know, your safety? Not buying it. Now, let's get into what's being done to people in the Israeli prisons which we can prove, which is not a new thing. It didn't start October 7th. Mohammed, I already showed you this one. Mohammed Shihada points out, and this has been roundly reported by plenty of outlets, Israeli broke both of his arms in prison. That's a kid. They left him eight days without medical treatment. Mohammed Nazil says they kept beating him until, until one of them died. They starved them near to death with a plate of plain rice for 10 people. They were freezing with no heating or blankets. Now, mind you, this is well after the fact, right? He's been treated. He's back home. The point is what we're seeing in regard to what they're releasing versus what we know is happening in these, in these Israeli prisons is, is horrifying and obvious. Here's another example. Child hostage, Yazir Zamaya. Now, of course, you could argue they're lying. Sir, any, but, you know, if you're going to argue they might be lying, then you have to apply that same possibility to anything that uh, the Israelis say as well. That's what we all do. Any case, they could all be lying. But it says Zamaya was jailed at 16 years old. The prison administration was horrible. They treated us violently, he said. They've beaten up a lot of people. Some of them died in their own by the hands of guards. Some people's heads were split open on the section of the prison. Little children, 10 years old, 12 years old, are being treated with extreme violence. He said that they are fed dry rice and are kept in freezing temperatures that prevent them from being able to sleep for more than a few hours. Dry rice. Now, you tell me that kid looks like he's taken care of. It's obvious that these people are being treated horribly. And... They'll tell you that when you listen to them. Here's the one I already showed you before. 
right? And then, by the way, I wanted to clarify this because I, I, I think what happened was I, I showed you something just before this and it confused me about what point. The point is we're talking about two things in most of these conversations is the people being released, the three things really, the people being released by Hamas, people being released by Israel, and then the people that were killed, right? They're, they're, the point is that there are different dynamics to each of these. Are they, you know, are they IDF? Are they civilians? And it applies to all three of these. Now, my point in saying that is I wanted to make sure you heard this the right way so it was clear, even though I'm sure all of you got it as I was going through it, which is that this is a, a Palestinian prisoner, right? Released, that was, was held by Israel. Here's what she said, and here's what they translated it to. I won't read all of them, but just the point is, right? So what she said, the Israeli occupation forces came at 10 a.m. telling us that they would be a deal they imprisoned us. They've been prisoned for a month. And that simply became, is they came at 10 and they told us there was a deal, right? This one says they are firing, throwing tear gas at, tear gas at us. And it simply says tear gas was fired. Female prisoners are living under constant humiliation. We keep veiled 24 seven. Nobody knows anyone. We were wearing head covers all the time, leaving out the main point that we were being humiliated, right? So the point is, you're not hearing that from prisoners by Hamas, but this is a constant reality, which I'll show you directly from international groups about what Israel does to these people. The main ones, they've imprisoned us for a month. As winter came, they cut off electricity. We almost died from the cold. Here's what BBC tells you, she said. And no one helped us. Only Hamas cared. Those who felt our suffering, I thank them very much. That is not just a mistranslation. That is propaganda. That's BBC willfully lying to you and framing it as news. They sprayed us with pepper spray and left us to die inside the prison. And we love them very much. Yeah, you think? My God. So that's my, my point. It's that th they are clearly exposing this stuff. And how they're lying to you. This is how they're being treated by the Israelis. Now, as I've shown you, I am a international. By the way, you can look back at old reports from them going back years. This is from November 8th forward. They made a point to write this article to tell you that since October 7th forward, there have been, as they framed it, horrifying cases of torture and degrading treatment of specifically Palestinian detainees amid a spike in arbitrary arrests. Yep, arbitrary, which means not for a valid reason, not because they're terrorists, not because they threw stones, arbitrary, because they want to scoop up more children. Just like I said. And you can read through this. It's horrifying what they're doing. Over the last month, we've witnessed a significant spike in Israel's use of administrative detention, meaning they said the wrong thing in public, locked them up for until we decide otherwise, sometimes for years. There's been kids that have been in there for since they were 12 years old being released when they're 17, 18. No charge. It says a detention without charge or trial that can be renewed indefinitely, which was already at a 20-year high before October 7th. But Ben Shapiro will whine about something different. Here, as I've already shown you, is the article we, we, we use this for the title on the last show, Israel's Insidious Narrative About Palestinian Prisoners. I just want to read you the main paragraph. They're all, they're all terrorists, they keep telling you, right? Well, as he writes, the vast majority of the 300 pr pr Palestinian prisoners proposed for release are teenage boys. According to the list, 124 under the age of 18, including 15-year-old girl, and many of the 146 who are 18 years old, turn so in prisons. According to the, de the definitions laid out, the UN Convention on the Rights of a Child, these Palestinians were children when they were arrested, which is violating the law. Of the 300 names Israel proposed for release, 233 of them have not been convicted of any crime. So as the rest of them scream, they're all terrorists, 
They're either too dumb to know they're wrong or don't care. Because 233, the vast majority have never even been charged for years. They are categorized simply as under arrest. That's a violation of any law, international or otherwise. Police and prosecutors all over the world make allegations later proven false during a supposed fair trial. The Israeli narrative promotes the fiction that these Palestinians are in the middle of some sort of fair process. This is a complete and verifiable farce. Palestinians are not prosecuted in civil courts. They're tried in military courts. They're off, they, are off, they often are dead. And by the way, that happens because it's an occupation, which they'll say when this point comes up. But in otherwise, they act like there's no occupation of Gaza. You're crazy. But we need military courts because we're dealing with an occupation. They often are denied access to lawyers and to purported evidence against them, are regularly held in isolation for extreme periods, for years. Israel is the only developed country in the world that routinely tries children in military courts. This is an open, open secret like so many other things that they're doing. Horrifying cases of torture while they're in there. And here is even Haaretz. This is from 2019. Endless trip to hell. Israel jails hundreds of Palestinian boys a year. These are their testimonies. And it will give you nightmares if you read this. They seized in the dead of night, blindfolded and cuffed. That's that picture I was talking about. For the podcast, just look at this in one article. Uh, Endless trip to hell is what the title is. Shows you this picture that they, this is one of the worst pictures. It's like, 17 IDF members surrounding this child who's been beat up, blindfolded, for throwing stones. It says they're seized at the dead of night, blindfolded and cuffed, abused and manipulated to confess to crimes they did not commit, says a leading Israeli platform. Every year, Israel arrests almost a thousand Palestinian youngsters, some of them not even 13. But of course, the propagandists are telling you you're a racist if you say that. Oh, well, here's, you know, because Mike Pompeo is so smart, right? Here's what he says. It speaks volumes that the Israelis are forced to exchange Palestinian terrorists to get children back. Yeah, Mike just tapped in for a moment and said, what's the narrative? What am I supposed to say? Got it. Narrative. I guess when he lost that weight, he lost all of his intelligence too, or if he, didn't, he had it in the first place. I mean, you know, obviously these people are ridiculous. You can, it's, are, are, there, are you going off of what, what Israel tells you? All of the human rights groups, the United Nations, and anybody else involved has been screaming about this from the beginning. So too has the United States government, by the way. They used to point this out. So it just becomes embarrassing that you guys are such bad liars. And all you can do is toe the line. I guess that's it. You know we know you're lying. You know we can prove you're lying, and you just do it anyway. And then he says, make no mistake, we're in a battle of good and evil. Yeah, we're not buying it, bud. Nobody's buying it anymore. And we just talked about this article as well. IDF confirmed tanks fired on Israeli civilians and the insidious narrative of Palestinian prisoners. You can watch the full show right there. Now here, Fadi Quran points out an important breakdown. Now, I, look, you could argue this is just his framing. Either way, this is provable. Whether you talk about Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, United Nations, observers, reporters, journalists, it's very obvious what these children go through. He says, here's a personal story about Palestinian child prisoners. First, per, uh, Perveen says, humanrightswatch.org have been telling the world that this has been happening for years. It's an international crime. Israel is just above the law. USA lets it get away. I agree. Here's what it says. In 2012, this is a, a, we're told a report from a child to him. I was arrested in Hebron while participating in a march to open uh, Shuhada Street. 
which was a main market street for Palestinians until the Israeli military shut it down. And then, of course, made it only accessible for Israeli settlers because it's totally a democracy and not apartheid state. It's part of the area that uh, this this uh, journalist visited. Oh, excuse me, this congressman visited. Handcuffed and blinded by pepper spray and thrown in the back of an Israeli Humvee after my head was slammed against it, the soldiers drive off. They suddenly stop, run out, and I hear a child screaming and crying. This child is then thrown on top of me and is handcuffed. I asked him what his age was. He said 13. I asked him what happened. He said he was walking to his sister's house and they stopped and picked him up. He's in panic, crying, because he said his sister cooked him lunch and she's going to be terrified if she doesn't know where he is. He says, I tell him not to worry. We'll make it out. We'll make it out and give them the basic tips. You know, just be stay silent, ask for representation. We get to the Israeli military outpost. We're dragged out of the Humvee. The kid's terrified, telling them not to blind him. He thought I was blinded because of the pepper spray. I couldn't open my eyes. The smack, they, the smack the kid around and tell, they smack him around, tell him to shut up. 13 year old kid. We wait a bit. The kid is called for an interrogation. No parents called. Right. That never happens. They don't let him know what's happening. They don't know what the charge for the Israeli military interrogator literally tells him, I'll let you go home. You just need to confirm the guy with you. The guy telling the story led the protests and told you to throw stones at us. The kid says, I want to call my, my family, my lawyer. The interrogator says, okay, picks up the mobile phone, gives it to the kid. The kid puts his mother's number in the soldier snatches the phone back and the mother answers. And I, I have to, I've actually pr- improved this has happened. People have reported this exact situation to me. Roberts talked about this. The soldier said after the, they take the phone, the soldier speaking to the mother who has kidnapped her son says, your son is going to go to jail. And if he doesn't talk, I'll come and arrest you too. Puts it on speaker. The mother is panicking. The kid starts to panic. The soldier hangs up in her face. So that, I mean, that's just mean. It's meant to make them upset. The soldier tells the kid, I can make your family's life hell. If you say what I told you to say, everything will be okay. The kid starts sobbing and says, but I don't know this guy. I just met him in the Humvee when you put me here. Sitting outside the room, he's, this, he yells, kid, stay strong. Just don't fall for his lies. They come and take me away. 30 minutes later, the kid comes out of the interrogation shaken. He says the soldier told him he'd shoot his mother. The poor child told me not to worry that he just said the truth. The case brought against this kid was, some, was stone throwing. This kid, the one that they just scooped up and said to lie. The two soldiers testified that they saw him throw a stone, even though it didn't happen. He, he spent three months in prison as, you know, gee, I wonder why the training police in America, I wonder why that happens. He spent three months in prison as the court hearings kept getting delayed. Eventually, he was advised by his lawyer to just, quote, admit to throwing a stone he didn't throw because that way he'd spend less time in prison because the lawyer could be able couldn't or, or, because the lawyer could be able to negotiate his release in four months while waiting for a ruling from the military courts could take a year from a chumped up charge that didn't happen. In short, working on the issue in Palestine for 12 years, this person is now saying this. I can tell you the majority of child arrests in Palestine follow this exact pattern. Israel wants to teach a Palestinian community a lesson, deterring people from protesting its oppression. It targets the kids. Arrest, arrest dozens of them, up to a 700 a year, which again is even what arrests will tell you, a thousand of them a year almost. Oh, wait, uh, here. He says the majority of the kids get abused and interrogated. We just showed you the video that was released by the IDF showing them screaming at that kid, convincing him to say something he did that he didn't do. Lawyers and kids know it's better to confess even if you didn't do the crime. That's what it's like to live in a broken system. 
We're seeing that begin to happen here more and more. As waiting for a ruling and being a ruling and being in uncertainty limbo is hell. That's why you have a 95% conviction rate. Then the Israeli government, when challenged for the systemic the systematic abuse, comes out and says these kids are terrorists. They attacked our soldiers and admitted to it. And because the lives of Palestinian children don't matter, the world turns a blind eye and again and again and again and again, and it cycles all back around. Damn right. Now, Freddie Pontone points out, there is no such thing as Palestinian prisoners. They're all hostages of, the, of Israel, the occupying force. Obligations of the, the, the detaining power regarding the allowances of the detainees are enshrined in both Articles 98 and 81 of the Fourth Geneva Convention. Israel does not honor this. Israel obligations under international law towards Palestinian prisoners clearly states that the occupying power, Israel, is administratively and financially responsible for the occupied territory and its people. Quote number two, Israel has the only military juvenile court system in the world. It's just that obvious. Prolonged solitary confinement, including of minors, violations of the prisoners' rights to visitation and contacting of their families. Detention conditions are dire. Some of the detention centers are buildings, while others are merely tents erected within military camps, exposing detainees to extreme weather conditions. Overcrowded facilities. Israel, the occupying power, has significantly decreased the free-of-charge items provided by the prison administration for the basic needs of the prisoners since 1994. Right? Ben Gavir. Went on the record. He toured these things to make sure they didn't get anything better. Currently, it says prisoners and detainees rely mainly on the prison's canteen for purchase of basic supplies, including clothes, food, purchase, mind you, personal hygiene products, cleaning materials. The canteen sells items at a price that far exceeds the market price outside of the prison, in a place they they already can't afford. A large number of detainees imprisoned by are either wounded or ill. Palestinian detainees who suffer from deteriorating health conditions, the prison clinics have gained notoriety for offering only aspirin for health treatments, and physicians within the clinics are all soldiers. The long hours of of transferring detainees from Israeli prisons to military courts exhaust the detainees. Since Israel's occupation of the West Bank, including East Jerusalem and the Gaza Strip in 1967, an estimated number of 800,000 Palestinians have been detained in Israeli prisons. This number constitutes about 20% of the Palestinian population as the whole in the occupied Palestinian territory and as much as 40% of the total male population. Since 1967, Israel has issued at least 52,000 administrative detentions. Currently, there remains 450 Palestinians held in administrative detention without trial or charge. Right. Think about that. Children. During, or excuse me, I think that applies just in general, but many of them are children. During 2017, 6,742 Palestinians were detained and imprisoned by Israeli occupation forces, including 1,467 children between the ages of 10 and 18. There's a bunch more in there. I'll leave it there for time. I just think it's just so important to understand this stuff. Now, I'll include this graphic as well. Right? This, been, this has been it's floated around, discussed. I think this is maybe the thing, one of the things that Elon got called to the principal's office for. 14 years of childhood in Gaza. As if this is nothing to do with what happened. Right? The idea that you've got children that have, been, that have lived through multiple wars and watched their families get bombed, watched their, watched their friends get killed. 
and watch the world call them terrorists. That's what they're living through. If you don't think this drives the reality that we're seeing, you're you're blind. Now, Sarah Abdallah, citing this European doctor, it's just show this is on what we're seeing is unprecedented. Everybody seems to be able to acknowledge this other than Israel and their sycophants. Quote, it says, I have worked in hospitals in Afghanistan, Uganda, Ethiopia, Sierra Leone, Sudan, Cambodia, some of the worst in the, in the context of, of human humanitarian crises, some of the worst locations in the world because of the wars, because of what the U.S. foreign policy has done to them, because of what, I mean, horrible realities. But, he says, I have never operated on so many injured children as I am now in Gaza. You just can't deny that. In the burn units of the hospital, we now have 78 patients. Nearly two-fifths of them are children under five. I have never seen anything like it. This is what people out there are defending. It does not matter at this point why you think this is it, this is not okay, no matter what the circumstances. And then we're proving they're lying about what they claim they're using to make this happen. Glenn Greenwald points out, every time I discuss civilians killed in Gaza, you know, like the children we just pointed at, he's inundated with these three strains of responses. And this is straight from the Hasbara nonsense, in my opinion. Number one, they're lies. Biden already pushed that. They're not. I mean, it's very obvious. You can almost count them with the videos you can see. Or two, they simply deserve what they got. Or number three, there's no such thing as innocent Palestinians. Right? That's the point we make about that the categories are either that they are supporting terrorism, that they are Hamas, or that they're human shields. Well, okay, so you've made sure that every single Palestinian, no matter how you frame it, are able to be killed. And that's what they've done. But it says, this person just simply says, he, he cites the, the death toll. And this is wild how angry people get for mentioning civilian casualties. It's like being called pro-branch Davidian for, for objecting to the ADF response in Waco. I mean, it's, it is, it's ludicrous what we're seeing. But he says, and this the, the point is that this is a this is arbitrary. Oh, and the point he also makes the point that Representative Brian Mast actually wore his IDF uniform to Congress and then argued that there are no innocent Palestinians. It's obvious what's going on. This person writes, there's a viral 20-second clip of Brian Mast talking about Palestinian casualties. And she argues against it, but he literally did say this. He says, but the explicit argument was the shouldn't re you shouldn't refer to innocent Palestinians any more than you should say innocent Nazis. We we talked about it then implying that all of them are the problem. The, the real analogy would be innocent Palestinians like innocent Germans. Well, obviously there were innocent Germans, just like there are innocent Palestinians. But this terrible person made, was put to the task of conflating those things, just like Ben Shapiro did. They all did. They conflate this with everything. Now, Muhammad Shida also points out an American nurse who just wants you to hear what she's seeing and even, uh, I forget, I'm blanking on his name all of a sudden, uh, Mr. CNN here, doesn't even ask questions. This this is meek to me. This is them, for whether they're being put to the task, as we discussed, or because they want to save face, bringing her on and just letting her say her thing, but not asking any questions, not following up, not making this clear. Who did it? Who's responsible? What happened? Nope. 
because they don't really want you to know this, in my opinion. But this is what's going on on the ground. America. Oh, not that one. Sorry. Oh. Looks like I forgot this video. One second. Now, what she's basically going to tell you is just what she's seeing. Both the reality on the ground. Yeah, I guess I didn't grab that. But, you know, the, the dire circumstances and realizing that this is not what they're trying to tell you it is or that the justifications exist for continuing to kill these people. Al, uh, Cooper, Anderson Cooper, that's who it is. Forgetting his name. Mr. CIA himself. Okay, here we go. There it is. Were children with just massive burns down their faces, down their necks, all over their limbs. And because the hospitals are so overwhelmed, they are being discharged immediately after. And they're being discharged to these camps with no access to running water. There's 50,000 people at that camp now in four toilets. They're given two hours of water every 12 hours. And four toilets for 50,000 people. Yes. Um, and that's where we were living too. And they have these fresh open burns and wounds and partial amputations that are just walking around these conditions. And parents are bringing their children to us going, please, can you help? Please, can you help? And we have no supplies. It's just so sad. You know, that it can be that obvious, that in your face, like the reality that we can fit four toilets of 50,000 people. And let's realize, guys, when they bomb places like the Jablia refugee camp or the UN locations where they're all sheltering, that's what they're bombing. And they just go, Hamas. And as we keep pointing out, okay, well, show me one of them. Show me one example where you got them. Like, I mean, even, but realize the point is even then it would not justify the killing of those people because you claim you got one Hamas member. It's really just, it's, it's so overwhelming what's happening. Now, what's really disgusting is not that, like, obviously the point is that, that what people are suffering through in any circumstance is, is relative to their situation and it matters, right? Whether you're talking about people having, uh, panic attacks because of rockets like it still matters but you have to put the context in you you have to make it clear that while they're over here suffering from panic attacks they're committing genocide and murdering children at an unprecedented rate over 150 a day i guess is the breakdown or 115 depending on what the numbers and the average out hundreds of children every single day as if that's it's unreal unprecedented is in fact the reality because of the small size and the time frame it's happened. There is no precedent for this ever in history as we understand, or rather specifically, I think let's just say in the history of the modern you know, living memory. But I do, I still, I think the argument is in even going back as far as you want in the wars, we're talking about a larger location, a longer time frame. We're talking about 50 days in a very small area with um, the amount of bombs being dropped that is, is more than two nuclear or uh, atomic bombs. That's just grotesque, and everybody knows it. So here is the Zero Hedge writing an article. It says, brutal brutal psychological games. Hamas is holding an infant and toddler captive likely till the end. Well, the assumption being that there's some kind of a game. Anyway, the point is that I don't know. 
I don't know how we go about confirming who's actually being held. I'm not saying it's outside the, obviously Hamas is taking children. So it's not like I'm saying that's not possible. What I'm saying is it seems just as likely to me that this is just like the kid that they said was dead, that now has been returned or the child that we know was killed by a tank. that They keep telling you Hamas killed. I think that they never expected all this to happen to come back. So my point is, how do we know these children weren't already killed by the shelling and the bombing and they weren't ever even taken? The parents would still think they're taken because that's what the IDF is telling them. Or how do we know they weren't killed in the bombings of the indiscriminate 50 days of bombing where they might be held? So that's what that's what I think we should be asking. Or they have them. So, the, but the simple, it's not as simple as saying because they haven't been returned, therefore Hamas isn't letting them go. That assumes all the things Israel has added contextually around the circumstance. But it says the White House has said that eight more American citizens, as well as a U.S. permanent resident, are believed to still be among those captive. And it's continually insulting. Hold on. Let me see if I can bring this up. It doesn't look like I have it. I just was going to grab the tweet that I put out that says, if you, nah, I don't want to try to file take too long, but I simply put out the point that said, if you care about the prisoners being held that are American or Israeli rather, or American, but don't care about the hundreds of Palestinian Americans that are being indiscriminately bombed, that Biden doesn't care about, then you may be a bad person. Think about how wild this is. That's never changed. So everyone's talking about the eight American citizens. How do we get them back from Hamas? What about the hundreds of Palestinian Americans or British Palestinians or any number of ethnicities that are there? Why don't those matter? I think we know why. To these people, Israeli is more important. How else do you understand? How else do you perceive this? Because these are Israeli Americans we're talking about. But it says, but currently there are questions as to Israel, as to Israel's so far failed attempts to gain the release of the youngest captives. These two redheaded children, Kefir Bibas, 10 months, and then a four-year-old Ariel. Now, there is video of her, I believe, showing her with people. It's kind of a quick, blunt video, and it seems like they're the, the narrative is that they were forced to pass these children off, which could very well be the possibility, the reality. But I, I get so tired of how we see these videos that you don't really understand without their context. So it's just hard. But the point, nonetheless, is that it's the family. That's the mother that's in that video with these two kids. So I just I don't know what the reality is at the current moment. But it says geopolitical observer and security analyst Michael Horowitz has pointed out the sad reality that Israel is unlikely to secure their freedom anytime soon. It says, to me, the reason is fairly obvious, Michael writes. Hamas wants to drag this out as long as possible. Keep the leverage till the end. Now, I guess you could argue they want to keep a the, the fighting to stop, but to argue that they want to drag out the process, that doesn't make sense to me at all. And is thus purposefully separating families and keeping the hostages with the most emotional charge if they release them at all. Now, that, that doesn't add up with literally anything else they've done, right? We heard, we'll get into it in a minute where they kept them together. That's what we're being told. They kept them together. They kept the hostages' families together. They released the like the one with the dog. They released like none of this adds up with the idea that this was about keeping them separate and making this hostile. Like it just doesn't add up with what we're hearing. 
See, his assumption, or rather his you know, hypothesis about what will happen, it obviously stems from what Israel claims is the reality. He may be right, though. It's up to you to decide. But it says, now there have been reports that Hamas is claiming it has less hostages than initially thought. Aha, we told you this in the beginning. How do we know that they didn't just cite the number at what they knew that they killed and what was missing? We know that's what happened, right? So now you've got a reality where the number that they're claiming they demand in return isn't possible. So that will be framed as Hamas refusing to return them. Do Maybe they don't have them. We know that the IDF killed a lot of the people that they claim were taken. It says, and that the group, or some, I should say, to be more specific, and that the group has, quote, lost control of some of them. Now, that's interesting. Now, to me, that comes from the point where they admitted that because of the onslaught and the bombing, that they lost communication with some of these areas. What do you think that sounds like? That they were bombed. So now there's another aspect of this to where they're going to say, well, we don't know what happened to them. And they're going to say that's Hamas's fault, even though they bombed them. If you're an Israeli, this should outrage you. Or if you're an American or a Brit- or from Britain, like the point is that these people are there and they're bombing. It says, though many commentators, even in Israel, appear to agree Hamas may have lost control, this person says that's incorrect. He says Hamas is still in control. For four days, there were no rocket attacks, not even from the, Pal- the Palestinian Islamic Jihad. There were claims that the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, the other major faction in Gaza, was refusing to hand over hostages. And that's also the other aspect of this. They only seem to engage with Hamas. There are other groups, even to their point, that have hostages. So how does that line up with this focal point on Hamas? Like it would make sense if you were trying to engage in some kind of negotiation. But no, you're just bombing while making the argument that our goal is to get rid of Hamas. But other groups have hostages. So all that does is make it clear that you don't care about the hostages, the prisoners. <laughs> but it says, but these hostages, we know for a fact, were taken by the PIJ that, that have been released by Hamas. So obviously that shows you that they are working to some degree together. This is not to mention that Hila Ratam and Hamas separated her from her mother two days before her release. The IDF spokesman also said yesterday that Hamas transferred the Bibas family to another faction. This ensures the group can continue to delay. That's that's how he reads it. While keeping some of the most uh, specific, uh, what is that? Basically keeping some of the younger people, keeping this ongoing for, I, I don't, I just don't think that makes sense. They want to extend the pause. I agree with that. But by rele- you could release any number of people. Like, I, I just don't, I don't know. I, I think that also seems to suggest that they care more about not hurting those children. But clearly they don't if they've been bombing while I've been there the whole time. But it says, beyond that, giving hostages to other groups also ensures that they buy into Hamas's strategy and don't avoid a fight if it comes to it. Well, these are all hypotheticals. I think the main point for me is that we don't really know what the reality is on the ground of these prisoners. And that they don't seem to even have a second thought about any number of other innocent people, including Palestinians, whether they're Americans or British or anything else. And don't forget, by the way, there was a large faction of Palestinian Jews that were removed by Israel after 2006, not the other way around. They they point at it and say, why are there no Jews there? Because Israel made them leave. That's the reality. It's easy to look up. Now, here is what Americans, I think, are generally feeling. As Kosh points out, everybody is fed up with this. I really agree with this. Now, there's cussing in here. 
earmuffs for the children listening. I mean, probably we haven't had that many children, families watching these days because of how horrifying this stuff is, but she does cuss, so be prepared for that. But I, I, I really think that this is where the average person is right now. So sick and fucking tired of the lies that Western media, Republican and Democrat, that, are, that y'all are both putting out lies about what is going on in Gaza. So I went to watch the news last night and there was a story about an Israeli family. I don't watch the news for, for information. I watch the news to be like, hmm, what are they saying is happening? And the story was telling about a family in uh, Israel that got displaced. They had to relocate to a hotel because of the attacks from the Hamas that killed 50 people in their area. And they were saying how hard it was to be living in a hotel with their entire family fitting in one room. How dare you report on a singular family from Israel that's been displaced when there are over 2 million families in Gaza displaced. What about them being displaced? And they're not being displaced into nice little little hotels with running water and food and a nice roof over your head and you don't have to worry about bombs dropping on your place to stay. No, that's not what's happening. They are being displaced onto the goddamn streets. And let's talk about what Israel's trying to do with the hospitals, shall we? Oh yeah, they want to forcibly evacuate 22 hospitals with thousands of men, women, and children who are dying in them. Thousands. So don't sit here and say you care about civilian lives if you want to evacuate goddamn hospitals, 22 of them. And don't sit here and say, oh, well, maybe they have the, the civilians' best interests at heart. They want to relocate them. The United Nations, their, their WHO organization, WHO stands for World Health Organization. They have already stepped in and condemned this. They have said, if you evacuate these hospitals, people will die. There are people in these hospitals in intensive care. There are people in these hospitals on life support. There are people in these hospitals getting hemodialysis. There are children in these hospitals in goddamn incubators. There are mothers who are pregnant trying to keep their child alive in their stomach long enough to give birth. And you want them to evacuate somewhere safe, right? There is nowhere safe. There is nowhere safe. There is nowhere safe left in Gaza. And let's say there is. Let's play into your bullshit lies. There is somewhere safe for them to go, right? No worries. You just have to, one, make it there alive because you're all dying coming from a hospital, right? And then two, you have to walk through all of the rubble of what is left of Gaza to get there. You have to walk on the bodies of your people, your dead people, your dead men, women, and children as you're dying yourself and try to make it to the safe place, right? And then don't forget the fact that Israeli forces will be waiting to arrest you when you get there. Fuck that. So genuinely, sincerely, from everybody who sees through your bullshit, fuck you for reporting on, the, on a singular family in, in Israel that had to go to a hotel. The children of Gaza are in the fucking streets, some of them buried under buildings. Fuck you. Fuck you. Genuinely. Do you know how much food is left in Gaza? How's the water in the hotel? How's the food? Because Gaza has almost none left. You guys are fucking disgusting. Now, to be clear, she's talking about people that are ignoring what they're dealing with, right? The the journalist that would, would f- highlight this as the most important story while ignoring what they're dealing with over there. But again, my point is people that are suffering should not be dismissed because somebody else is suffering more. These Israelis that were displaced in that sense over in, in uh, Israel proper they didn't, they're not, I mean, I, I can't speak for their intentions or what they're involved with, but largely the average Israeli is not part of what's happening on Gaza. But nonetheless, I agree with the sentiment. 
It's it's propaganda to make it to redirect outrage to this story when you have a family that, yes, it's very sad what happened to them. It's sad that they were scared because of the terrorists that came in as they see it and what ultimately happened, and especially if crimes were committed. But that doesn't 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 ignore the reality that they had a legal right to armed rebellion. My point, though, is that they then removed to a hotel, as she's saying. Yeah, that's a, that's that's unfortunate, and it's sad that they struggled through that. But comparing that with what's going on, even using the word displaced, that's on purpose. It's an, it's meant to be an insult. That's how I look at that. Displaced at a hotel? Yeah, you know, very Western, West, you know, modern day displaced as we're literally watching old school, horrifying occupation, displacement, and ethnic cleansing. Now, as she points out, yeah, there is nowhere safe in Gaza. That's not just a hype. That's not hyperbole. That is literally what they're telling you now. Oh, actually, I think this is the wrong one. Oh, well, I mean, I didn't grab it. Well, UNRWA was saying the same thing. And that's what they're telling you right now, that there is no safe place here. Everywhere they go is dangerous. And we'll come back to that. And my point, though, is in the, Amer- the American side of this, not again, not in any way suggesting one is more important than the other, but just from, from Biden's perspective, or let's just take any other leader around the world, Sunak or, or Macron or anybody else. Why is it that they are okay allowing the indiscriminate carpet bombing of an area that they know hold hundreds of their people? If you can't wrap your mind around that, that they don't care about you, that they only care about the pretending that you matter when they need you to, you are simply ignoring a blatant reality slapping you in the face. They're doing everything they can to help to get what Israel wants while allowing the people that are their citizens to become secondary points. You realize the United States government has absolutely influence enough military funding, support for the agenda in general, the Western press and how they cover this. If they pulled the plug on their support for this, Israel would fall apart in this agenda. I mean, they already are, is the point. But none. The, but they, regardless, they keep going. Here's an article from the 13th of October. We already showed you this one. Trapped in Gaza. Palestinian Americans say they feel abandoned. Yeah, this is the same way I point out Israelis should be outraged. If you're an American, you should be furious about this, which I, I think most are. I think Biden's got basically zero support these days. But you know what? Trump would do the same thing. That probably bothers some people. But I built my life. This would be going the same way. Now, of course, Trump would be being very bolsterous about this. And, you know, but who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he would drive his, maybe he would make this more of a priority. I would give even Trump that, that he seems like the likely reality that he would at very least realize that it's more beneficial to his standing to make sure that at least as we perceive it, that he cares about the Americans more. I'll give him that. But either way, I think it's obvious that this is proving that, that this is not about the people. And here is another article from days later. I think this was the 20, the 18th. I feel like a second class citizen. Biden should take care of everyone. Americans stuck in Gaza say nobody cares. And now even going, this is from, this is from yesterday. As they, as they're continuing to not care about them and not helping them, the white house speaks up and says, there's no indication Hamas is using them for influence. Almost suggesting though, it's okay. They can wait. (laughs) My God. An American out there should be fuming as, as they're going to go back to bombing very soon. Whenever this fake truce ends, Israel's made it clear. We're going to continue trying to murder people. 
And that includes the Israeli, well, I mean, all of the hostages that are there, Israeli or Israeli Americans or Palestinian Americans. Because as he just said, there's eight Israeli Americans over there too. But they'll go back to bombing anyway. And any one of those bombs could kill them while they're there. And nobody cares about that. Well, let's listen to some of the hostages that were released. This is one of the ones you saw. Actually, I think we do have the video. No, I think I'm just going to play this here. Subtitles. As they say, this is the one you should, this is one you're going to want to hear. Now, this is the news outlet that had recently, before this, covered Yoshevid Lipschitz, the earliest one to be released. Remember, and she came out and said, they treated me kindly. They gave me food. They gave me feminine hygiene. They were very kind. They weren't torturing us. And they attacked her. This platform in particular, they said she was a PR disaster and that she should have said different things. Yeah, how dare she tell the truth if it undermines Israel's agenda? That was pretty clumsy of them. Everybody saw that. Now, the other ones are saying the same thing. And here's how they respond. It says some of the stories that are of com- people coming out match that of Lipschitz. They entered a very long tunnel, many kilometers. Some of them on bikes with Hamas men. Others on foot. And this is probably for the area of the communist hospital. That's an assumption, by the way. I mean, I, I haven't seen any evidence they're using any hospitals for that matter, other than the allegations put forward by the IDF that have been caught lying repeatedly. And even the BBC and CNN have called them out for their faking and staging of what they're showing you. But it says most of the time they were held together. This is the important part. Held together. As they said, they were not harmed or humiliated. Now, this is coming from groups. It says they were not tortured. Just real quick, there was not much food. We say we saw they lost some weight. Now, this is important. But it says Hamas tried to provide their, their needed medications every day. So how does that line up? So they're starving them, but giving them medication. No, the point is, even while they were struggling to feed themselves because of the siege on the area, they were still feeding their, their, their prisoners. Other, unlike the dry rice between 10 people in Israel's prisons. Very different. That in no ways, you know, nobody should assume about what you're like. That's the problem a lot with Twitter today, especially. Yeah, you, know, you, you state something very clearly and they just uh, start going after what they assume you meant surreptitious. Here's what wink, wink he meant by that. I'm not, but by saying that is not to then say we know Hamas is a, an angelic organization that only helps people. That would be very dumb and naive of you to think. I'm simply acknowledging what we can prove in the real moment here, in the real time. These people said they were not harmed. That, even in one case, undermines what Israel claims is the static reality. That has to matter to honest people. Then it goes to say, some days the medications could not be provided, but Hamas tried to provide medications every day, but couldn't always succeed at that. It says they said a lot that, that, that uh, most of them were held, held together, holding meetings and lectures. That the Israeli people. Do you think Israel would allow Palestinians to get together and pray, telling each other stories, doing activities, and because they were all held together, they gave them the strength to keep to keep going underground, which that included their religious aspects. That that was the meetings and the gatherings. Some of them heard on the radio inside the tunnels about their relatives who died on Saturday. It says others were told yesterday 
that some of their family members died on that day, which, you know, at whose hand, by the way, and some of their family members died on that day and all the hostages were held together. They speak of good conditions and good treatment from Hamas, plus the medications. They were not treated violently or humiliated. Of interesting facts, you told us, they were from the kibbutz, the the same places we're talking about. They kept their daily routine even there. Think about that. Food, treatment, while they're struggling to feed themselves. This This is not because I'm going, look how great they are. This is what they're saying on Israeli media. That's what I'm saying. And they're saying that they allowed them to get together to, to have their meetings and lectures and, and, their, and obviously their prayers and whatever else. And Israel would never allow that. And I would love to hear somebody try to argue that they would. There were lectures and joint activities, joint activities while in prison. And this helped them to stay strong because they were all together. Very different than what we're being told about isolation of children for years on end they felt they were a community even there which means hamas allowed that and we should say that many of us attacked yoshevid lifshitz she and and she said exactly the same thing that this guy chiming in to basically chastise the rest of them and she said basically the same things but received a very bad treatment from us he says they accused her of causing a pr disaster they accused her of lying for the sake of her husband They accused her of being brainwashed by Hamas. Yet every word she said was the truth. Look at that. And they released hostages now that say the same things because they were all held together. Now, as I keep saying, there are reports of people that are being claimed, they're claiming that this is what happened. And here, here are hostages saying the opposite. I haven't been able to verify any of those. But I've seen a lot of this and it's again, even confirmed by their media themselves. This is a grandson of Israeli hostage saying Hamas treated her well, that she wants to sue Israel. The Israeli resident claims the 85-year-old mother in Gaza received the required medication, staying healthy. She apparently plans to sue the hospitals, alleging they didn't administer what she got while in Gaza, saying that, insisting that Gaza hospitals accurately diagnosed and treated her. In, and the point was, this is coming from, and this fact check down here says that's not what this post says. The point is, this is not from her directly because they're not allowing many of these people to speak to the press. She's speaking through a family member who's relaying this to Facebook, which the link is right there. You can look it up for yourself. All the information is there. The point is that we're hearing this kind of more than once. And this is the point, again, even from this clip, the medications that they weren't able to receive. They're arguing that they are getting better treatment medically in Gaza. Think about how absurdly backward that would be to the narrative. Come to your own conclusions. Here is the one of the ones that you saw in the video that was saying, are you trying to kill us all? Released, has now said, she, she wrote a letter to the Palestinian resistance, thanking them for their humanity and great care. This is real. You can check it for yourself. How does that line up with their narrative? As much as they'll try to frame it, just like they'll try to frame anything criticism, criticism of Israel as racist, I'm not saying this is even my opinion. This is what their hostages said about them. And today, here's the kind of the last update. Israel says 30 Palestinians released after 12 returned from Gaza. Apparently, oh, and, and here's just one of the videos of some of them. You, they all, it's the same kind of things you're going to see. I, guys, is that, that does not look like a person that is struggling. Doesn't mean that you should just diminish what she went through. It's probably terrifying. A 17-year-old girl, but has her dog Let's pretend that Israel would allow a Palestinian prisoner to keep her dog with her the whole time, right? 
come on, guys. That's not to say that they're, the point is, I, oh, the main point I've said in the beginning, this could very well just be what they're doing to put out a, a front to people to make them think that they're not what they are. I, I don't think that either. I think it's somewhere in the middle. But my point is that we ju- that just by showing this does not prove one thing or the other, but it does show you that they're challenging their narrative right now, and everyone seems to be saying the same thing. Now, this apparently is going to continue. They're right now, they're kind of going back and forth. Maybe they've already made decisions since I've started about whether or not they're going to they're release more hostages and gain an extra day. But I get the feeling Israel's going to try to push back on that. But right now, that seems to be what's happening. Now, as Ali Abu, uh, Abunama from Electronic Intifada points out, and this, the article says, Israeli Supreme Court rejects petition to allow demonstrations against the war. Of course, only democracy in the Middle East, but you can't protest things that we're doing. As he writes, the only democracy in the galaxy has outlawed all protest against its genocidal extermination campaign of Palestinians in Gaza. With this, it is following the footsteps of the barbaric governments in France and Germany. Let's see where we are right now. Two hours and 30 minutes. <clears throat> now, let's see. This, this is a topic that I'm, I'm going to go through, but let's see if we can't rapidly do this to finish. I, I think this is important, but as we continue forward, I, I honestly think that pretty much everybody sees through this. When I said I, well, I told you in this tweet, talking about Elon Musk, it's because we knew that this was how it was going to go. It says, this is, you know, Mr. Eli David Propaganda saying, Elon Musk in, in, in uh, Kafar uh, Aza, where Hamas massacred many of the civilians. Or IDF, you know, if we actually care about the facts. He is looking at a blood-soaked baby crib. This is the one that Steve was talking about. Does that even, I mean, doesn't look blood-soaked to me, first of all. And he made the point that if you look at this, you can literally see bullets, like un, like bullets as if they were shot into the air, not bent, not just bullets laying in the crib. That's out in the open. So you moved the crib out here and left all the bullets. Like, this seems ridiculous. And even then, what does that prove to anybody? Here's a crib. Here's what you're supposed to think when you look at this crib. That that's what's happening, and that's what ultimately went down. As Torah, as Torah Judaism. A group of Orthodox Jews say, Dear Elon Musk, did they show you the Israelis who were killed by Israeli soldiers at October 7th? Those who died because of the Netanyahu government? The Jews who protested Netanyahu and were imprisoned in Israeli prisons for this? Did they show you the children that they killed in Gaza? The Palestinians they imprisoned? The Gaza they tried to destroy? Or were you trying to impress, or or were they trying to impress you by showing you the things they wanted you to see? If empathy is is to be done, you should do it for everyone who died. One-sided empathy prevents you from seeing the facts. And here is literally them showing him some selective clip on a phone. I mean, how stupid is this? Right, of course, because that's always the big dangerous statement, right? God is great. Terrorist. I love, I mean, it's just so funny how that to them means terrorist, even though what you're saying is praise God, God's great, right? It's just hilarious how people are so bigoted and ignorant in a lot of ways. Most of the people that act like they're fighting for, against that, actually. As I, I think, I think it was also Dave Smith who said that about the idea of framing this as, you know, should this have happened in the United States, right? Should some foreign entity attack the United States and then occupy the United States? You could obviously see right-wing militias carrying out attacks on these people and probably screaming something about God when they did it. Isn't that the same thing? 
not in the minds of them because they're the righteous side, right? That's how this goes. Those are blinded, naive people that think only their side is the righteous one. And that is the kind of group that's used by these governments. Yeah, here's what you're supposed to see right here. And that's what that's supposed to be. And that's them whispering the narrative in his ear. Okay. So look at what they're showing. Oh, it's that same video with the same truck and the same piece. Yeah, that's just, it's the same stuff, guys. Which, by the way, there's a whole bunch of more information than that video, right? Or, or even, well, actually, I'll wait to get into some of this before what he says. I think just this very sent, this very thing is really silly. Oh, well, there you go. Well, that's convincing. We're sold. Because she told you what you're supposed to be looking at. Well, it says here, and this is again, Eli David, who just, he was just trying his best to get Elon, Elon to just completely, you know, Elon knows and he sees it because he's fighting anti-Semitism, even though ADL and everybody else is calling him anti-Semite. That like, it just blatantly shows you that this, these Zionists don't care about Jews or anti-Semitism. They care about trying to use that to control people. Here's Elon. He says the quote, anti-Semite in suggesting he's not, which I don't think he is but realize that that is coming from the Israeli side of the argument, accusing him of being an anti-Semite, sitting next to Prime Minister of Israel, making a very weird face as he watches this snuff film video for the 47,000th time, watching Hamas's atrocities, they claim, and expressing unequivocal support for Israel and calling for the annihilation of Hamas. Thanks, Eli, for putting words in his mouth that we can't verify. Great. Typical. How many of those accusing him of an anti-Semitism have visited Israel since October 7th? Clearly trying to defend this. Israel and the Jews everywhere are lucky to have Elon's support. It's just, it's just, it's very clear with this overwhelming agenda. And Fars points out the very definition of a double standard. As you saw him looking at this empty crib with a bunch of narrative around it and a mass grave for 100 different people in Palestine that were killed and stolen and returned and organs stolen from them from the Al-Shifa hospital. But yeah, that, that crib with some things in it, that's, that's the one. That's what you should care about. Well, this says from Insider Paper, Elon lands in Israel, meets with Netanyahu. Now listen again. This is the discussion around this crib. Some of them uh, return home. Not home yet, but they uh, return to Israel. And, uh, most of them were kidnapped from the houses over here. Yeah, so all the things that we're saying happened, they all happened over there. And that's here's how you're supposed to think. Just, just narrative filling. Infiltrated into the kibbutz itself. So what, do you, what exactly do you think you're going to gain by walking through the area? You can see all this online. The only thing he's getting is what they're telling him about it. That's very obvious. Doesn't mean false, but it means a group that's been caught lying repeatedly might not be honest with what they're telling him. This is the house of and here's where the 40 babies were, and here's where, you know, that kind of stuff. This video is not showing you anything. You're not even going to hear what he's saying. See, he's, just, he's explaining the crib. Look at the bullets. How stupid is that? It's holding chills. Like, they're, like that, those bullets weren't even fired. Like, that's a, it's a full bullet. How in the world does that happen? You just dump some empty bullets in there like we're that stupid? Specifically of a negative. 
that was used here in order to protect the people. I mean, that's just that's as clear as it gets. That crib could mean anything. If you walked up on that crib in the middle of the street, you wouldn't go, oh, Hamas killed people. <laughs> you would go, there's a crib. But they fill in all the blanks. <laughs> And the house that's obviously destroyed and burned because Hamas had tanks and munitions? Nope. Obviously not. And by the way, don't forget the one of the bigger points that, that Sarah, uh, uh, partisan girl, or excuse me, Syrian girl just pointed out. These are settlements. These are occupied Palestinian territory, as all of it is, but even according to the United Nations. So technically, they didn't even invade Israel. They invaded occupied illegal territory, which, again, you could argue that for the entire area, which is what they're ultimately saying. But that doesn't that interestingly changes it a little bit, doesn't it? Illegal settlements, all of us. Taking pictures of things you can find online. the same thing i mean look you're going in a building you're saying here's what you're supposed to see it is a building with not you don't know you know so again bullet holes i'll I'll let you i'll let you watch oh look they're showing you all the lined up guns that's what that is right there why does that why is that relevant Look what we found in this room that you can't verify. I don't think Elon is not this stupid. I think, well, I'll, I'll make the point at the end of why this seems to be happening. Oh, look, it's a bag. That must prove everything. Yeah, why does he have like this child-sized vest? I don't understand that. Maybe that's intentional. Okay, that's what we're talking about right now. And it says, tech uh, tycoon Elon Musk visited the site of Hamas attack in southern Israel Monday and discussed artificial intelligence with defense chiefs. (laughs) Of course, of course they did. Well, here is the actual article. It says, we have to demilitarize Gaza after the destruction of Hamas, Netanyahu said, calling for a campaign to de-radicalize the Palestinian territory. So you fund and arm a group that you put in in order to destabilize them, then point at that very group in order to, to, for why you need to continue your operation. Sure sounds like a false flag to me. Then we also have to rebuild Gaza, and I hope to have our Arab friends help in that context. Of course. So you destroy it, then ask them to pay for your destruction of their, of arguably, people they support more than you. Think about that. You are committing genocide against people, some many of them Arabs, and then saying, why don't the rest of the Arab countries help pay to rebuild what we destroyed on top of their bones? Netanyahu told Musk he hoped to resume U.S.-mediated normalization talks with Saudi Arabia. Why not? I, I don't think that's going to happen, quite frankly. And expand the circle of peace beyond anything imaginable. <laughs> Sounds like Trump. What a dumb thing to say. So let's pretend everybody finds peace together. Well, that's pretty easy to imagine. They all find peace. That's done. We imagined it. Simple. But apparently, he's going to expand that circle of peace beyond something we can't even imagine. It's it's a meaningless statement. It's propaganda. Like everything else they do, it's like what Trump does. 
I was in power. I, I, I can't even think of one how he does it. I don't know. He's just hyperbolic about everything. It's always the most important thing he's ever done that anybody's ever done of all time. I just think it's funny. What you're simply trying to make it sound like is that if we get our way, it'll be rainbows and sunshine forever. Obviously not. Communications Minister Slomo Kari said that Israel had reached an understanding in principle on the use of Starlink satellites. Of course, aiding the genocidal side, just like they're doing in Ukraine. In Israel and the Gaza Strip with the approval of the Israeli ministries. So the point being, in the Gaza Strip, you're now going to use this to spy on these people and then use his technology to help you pinpoint your murder. Musk and Netanyahu also held an extended meeting on the security aspects of artificial intelligence. Good. Isn't that great? Group like is a, a genocidal, maniacal Zionist government using artificial intelligence to help what they're doing. The American tycoon was has also met with President Isaac Herzog, Herzog, you know, Mister Propaganda himself, with the mind comp and chemical weapons instructions and the Shawnee looks head. No, excuse me, her body. Wait, I mean a bone. Wait, I mean a sliver. This lie after lie after lie after lie, and we just keep going. Herzog would address the need to act to combat the rising anti-Semitism. Of course, this was going to come up. You have to stop letting people say the truth about Israel online. Musk has come under fire. For what critics say is a proliferation of hate speech on X. Of course, they don't mean people screaming about how Palestinians are all animals and should be destroyed. No, no, no. They only mean the allegations against Israelis. More specifically, only what they say are allegations against Jews, when mostly people are talking about Israeli government actions. But that's what they're doing. One side's completely okay. You can hate Palestinians and you can scream. You can show their dead body. That's all. That's all okay. Except when that is proving Israel crimes, then that violates their terms of service. He has also been accused of the, by the White House of abhorrent promotion of anti-Semitism. So this is where it comes to, as I think a Syrian girl is going to say in a second. It's a process. Like we've seen with many of them. They accuse you of anti-Semitism, even though you're like a belligerently pro-Israel person like Trump or Biden. And you do go afoul. Barely. Everything I do is right, except this was a little bit off track. Racist! Drive you back into more support. And then you go on your tour, like RFK Jr. did. That's what he's doing now. Herzog's office said the meeting would be joined by representatives of the family. This is interesting, actually. The meeting that they had would be joined by representatives of families, of hostages. Yeah, just like everything else. So I'm the IDF member here to represent that family. Here's what they'll tell you. Or will they? who will speak about the horrors of the Hamas attack. Well, it seems pretty interestingly obvious how everybody involved, the hostages, the people around, the families of them have been controlled and corralled and been told what they are and are not allowed to say. In September, Netanyahu urged Musk to stop not only anti-Semitism or rolling it back as best you can, but any collective hatred. Except Palestinians, that's the allowable one. Or, you know, Russians too, that counts. Think about them saying that, how stupidly obvious that is. Are they trying to stop collective hatred while they're literally collectively hating Palestinians? Obviously not. Twitter is currently suing Media Matters on the grounds that it's driven away advertisers. That's where this actually started. Right? So they come out and they say, you're a racist anti-Semite. And yet, oh, actually, before we get to that, I want to make a point about this. What they're talking about here is going after Hamas, right? We have to do whatever we can to get rid of Hamas. Okay, so what about Palestinian Islamic Jihad? Isn't it very telling that they're not even mentioning them, even though they're holding people? My point is, I don't think that's going to change. I think it's just going to become the next reason they keep going. That's how this is set up, in my opinion. But 
Eli David again says, Elon Musk in Israel today. We saw the joy expressed by terrorists that were killing innocent civilians. That's I'm sure how you framed it, isn't it? Or these were Palestinians that were rejoicing in a legal act of armed rebellion at a point when they couldn't have possibly known exactly what was happening in Israel proper. They were cheering in the streets largely because they were going, I can't believe people, this finally happened. People are finally pushing back against our illegal occupier that we've been under the Buddha for 75 years. And yes, maybe some of them cheered because people got hurt and killed, just like they're doing in Israel right now about Gaza. So it all matters. And anyone doing that's disgusting and gross and should be called out for it. But for you guys to pretend that literally everybody cheering for free Palestine or anti-Jewish or racist is falling on its face. Most people aren't that stupid, but that's what they're doing. And Elon towed the line. It was jarring to see the scene of the massacre or one of the scenes of the massacres, um, as well as to see the short film afterwards uh, that uh, showed a, you know, more of, of uh, innocent people getting killed. It was troubling in that movie, especially to see the joy experienced by the people that were killing innocent civilians, including kids and you know babies and defenseless people, essentially. So, um, but you know, the point even there, what right do you have to tell them what they can cheer about? Like this is this is what it gets so so alarming. I mean, that that's actually coming straight from what they just did. You're, I don't want to see any expressions of joy after we release the families. Isn't that the same point? Just because you say they're all terrorists, therefore you're not allowed to cheer for them? It's the same thing. They don't see them like that. A lot of them see this as a resistance movement that is absolutely fighting for their self-determination. Maybe they're wrong. My point is, I think it's a very small portion of these people that were cheering because they hurt civilians. I could be wrong, of course, but I can tell you right now, they don't know what's in the minds of those people cheering. So this is really stupid. And these are people that are going along with whatever Israel frames as what we told, what is the reality, despite the fact that you can clearly show that there's no way they could know what everyone cheering was thinking. You know, it's it's one thing if, obviously, if, if civilians die accidentally, um, but if it's not. Yeah, like Israel. Oops, that's what he's saying. We accidentally bombed the refugee camp full of all of these people. Well, our bad. Not an accident. Nobody here is accidentally killing anybody. That's, this is obvious what's going on. Thing to revel in the joy of killing civilians. But that's not, you know, that's... Okay, so fair enough. So what about the people that sit along the mountainside and cheer as they kill people in Gaza? People that right now on Twitter are saying, kill them all because they're all animals. The Israeli president you just spoke to saying there are no innocent Palestinians. And then when they bomb them, they all cheer. It's, it's almost striking how it's crazy, how obvious, at the very least, they're doing the same thing. But, of course, he doesn't want to say that. I think this is because he's going through the motions. Frankly, that's evil. Um, I mean, the, the rebuttal is often made that, uh, well, you know, but, but, you know, Israel has killed civilians, you know, also in Gaza. But the, there is an important difference here, which is that... Israel tries to avoid killing civilians. Oh, do they? Is that what they told you, Elon? Is that what you just blindly said because they told you to say it? How pathetic, man. How embarrassing. I quite frankly think he knows what he's doing. Uh, doing everything he can to, to avoid killing civilians. That's, I mean, th that, is that is shown to be false by every metric on everything that's going on. 
the time, the amount of weapons, the ongoing onslaught, the fact that they're openly telling you it's more about damage than accuracy. But yeah, but he, but, but Netanyahu said, so there's the truth. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's not sort of joy expressed. I mean, it is, it was troubling to see massive protests in almost every major city um, in favor of Hamas. Yeah, see, this is my point. He even stuttered right there, guys. He's not, Elon is not a stupid person. He's, I think he's even tweeted to some effect. So that's why he, he was like, for protest for, for, for Hamas. Now, I, that's my opinion. But I, I feel like I can prove to you that he does not think they're all for Hamas. But that's what he was supposed to say. Because that's the narrative. That's what was stated on their narrative paper they gave them before the video. But it takes a special kind of stupid to argue all of these people screaming free Palestine are promoting something that there's not even a flag for. That's really dumb. Now, in the interest of time, I'm going to keep going because I want to get through some of these before we get to three hours. But Arnaud Bertrand also points out, so Musk's line is essentially, actually, this one's really short. Let's play this one real quick. Uh, suddenly been an, um, a day, I would say an emotionally difficult day. Uh, to see the places where people were murdered. His body language and everything about it seems odd to me, but that's just my opinion. I just did a talk with the, the prime like, minister. This, this president is such a creep, man. This is my opinion as well. But the way he nods here, like, oh, good, good. He said the thing we're supposed to say. Uh, to see the places where people were murdered. I just did a talk with the, the prime minister. And um, I think there's... I mean, obviously, there are three things that need to happen in the Gaza situation. I mean, there's no situation. choice but to kill those who insist on murdering civilians. There's no okay, well, then, then, then clearly, then that we're talking about Israeli bombing civilians, right? Why is it different? Oh, because they try not to hurt them, even though literally everything you have and everything they've said and a thousand different statements prove that they're actually trying to. But... His statement is kill those who insist on uh, murdering civilians. There's no choice. Okay, so there's no choice. So by that logic, the military is on the table, the Israeli military is on the table, any group that is targeting civilians, as we can prove, despite their narrative, it's there's no choice. Of course, the point is that he's obviously saying this only about one side of the conversation, because only one side, even though you can quite literally prove that there was not some operation directed at only killing civilians. I mean, everything about this shows you that's not the case. That's not to say they didn't kill some, which they should be charged for. Those are crimes. The point is that they have then taken many, most, and released all that we've seen and all of them saying treated kindly. So yet you flip that into they're targeting and killing civilians and that's all they care about. This is, the, this is as stupid now as saying Assad was only trying to gas children. It's the, it, and guess where that came from? There's no exactly. choice. Um, they're not going to change their mind. But, oh, they're not. Then, How do you know that? See, you're just setting these arbitrary narratives. Since we know they're not going to change their minds, we have to kill them. The second thing is to change the, the education. Ah, so, that, and, oh, so, so re-education camps. Sounds good. Sounds very modern. A new generation of, of murderers is not trained to be murderers. God, this is so bigoted and clumsy and dumb. And then, the, and then the third thing, which is also very important, is to try to build prosperity. Yeah, yeah. Thirdly, second, uh, once we kill everybody, we'll make them all rich. Of course, that's how you do it. My God, this is dumb. And as he said, so Musk's lines essentially 
physically eliminate Hamas members and ensure the remaining Palestinians toe the line through re-education. Straight back to the 19th century. He says, funnily enough, this his exact quote, there's no choice but to kill those who insist on murdering civilians. But of course, he only applies it in one side, not towards the 20,000 Palestinian civilians that were killed. Think about trying to rationalize that by saying, well, they tried not to. Same thing we hear from the U.S. government. God, it's so frustrating. Well, Fiorella also points out Netanyahu and Musk and Bibi labeled Hamas Nazis and a death cult while Musk supported these statements and warned of the protests in favor of Palestine, saying they were in favor of Hamas because that's just the line he's towing. Bibi then said Israel and Arab countries must demilitarize. Oh, so now it's all Arab countries because that was always what they were doing. De-radicalize and rebuild Gaza. He prided the the Esther influence and de-radicalize culture change in Saudi Arabia and the UAE. Musk, of course, the point is, that's not actually what happened. They're just as wild and radical, and they just are working with Israel. So we'll ignore your crimes, like with the Sudan. It says, I mean, the point there is that whatever the reality in your mind of the Sudan, Israel and the United States labeled them as sponsors of terror. And you could prove the situation didn't change. The only thing that changed, they said, if you deal with Israel, we'll stop saying that. So either it proves that they never cared about the terrorism, or they weren't ever terrorists. How it's it's just this stuff is apparent. It's plainly evident to anybody that with two brain cells. But it says the propaganda against Israel must stop. I want to build help rebuild Gaza after the war. Oh great. It says I'm sorry bros, how is Elon anti-establishment? He is the opposite. And how arrogant of both of them to assume Israel's winning. Israel is actually losing. But Dan Cohen simply points out, I'll let you, I I, I want to get this wrapped, but makes a great point about his phony characterization, saying he might be compromised, his photos with Ghislaine Maxwell and the Israeli lobby and so on. But this is the point I was saying earlier. So she says, basically, this is what happened. Elon Musk did an interview, an interview saying that if you kill someone's child, you create Hamas. Pointing out that that's them doing that, driving into reality, whether or not they mean to, but they do in regard to funding and arming and also doing the radicalization. But then he says, then Musk tweeted this and the ADL went, crazy and the advertisements ran away and that was that this person basically just made a point to say that they're you know calling them hypocrites the israeli government netanyahu calls musk into the teacher's office and musk overcompensates by throwing palestinians under the bus round and round we go david ike says as i read before to this complete propagandist i'm embarrassed to see how swaths of the alternative and quotes media have fallen for musk what a bs fraud he tells you what you want to hear and then does the opposite. But hey, it feels nice to have your belly stroked, so we'll forget about the last part. Has anyone stopped their Musk worship for long enough to ask why the deep state has controlled Twitter? The deep state that controls Twitter would sell it to him. A, if he really believed in free speech, and B, there was not an ulterior motive. Look how he's been absorbed into the alternative thanks to the Twitter purchase as a hero to be swooned over. Not firm out from our side, as you well know. The sting ha- is working then. Why not ask why Israel created Hamas, Musk? Or why Hamas operatives were allowed through the border fence despite cutting-edge surveillance and military protection? Oh, no. What would the advertisers think? So it's yes, sir, Mr. Netanyahu. Sir, thank you, sir. Anything you say, sir. Pass the sick bag. And here, he's talking about it. Elon Musk wants to rebuild Gaza. Maybe he can rebuild Lahaina, too. My God. But Mr. Propagandist says... The propaganda against Israel must stop tagging Elon. Middle MAGA says, is there something illegal about this propaganda? 
Why wouldn't this apply to Israel as well as their propaganda? Of course, no comment. Right? There's no, there's no way you can respond to that without looking like a moron because obviously they're the ones more than anybody spreading propaganda. But what this person simply says, oh, actually, wait, is there another one? Yeah, that's not right there. So first, this person's response says, can't Elon do something about that himself? Very ominously, Eli David says, he will. <laughs> At least that's how I read it. I mean, just, they, clearly, I think we're seeing the writing on the wall. But this person tags, as he says, the propaganda must stop as the propaganda, which really means videos showing the aftermath of their own airstrikes. Exactly. And, as I said earlier, Elon Musk, in fact, rejected an invitation by Hamas officials to visit Gaza. And, you know, witness the scope of the violence and destruction. He was not there for honesty. He was there for damage control. That's what I think. Going to Gaza would only force him to deny more of the obvious things he knows are happening. And even, again, Torah Judaism points this out first. Shows the, up. it says, upgraded to annihilator the movement versus the terrorists. They threw a bomb at the forces. Oh, this is the video of the child that got shot. And the point is, they say, dear Elon. See the true face of Zionists. These Zionist accounts see little children as terrorists and believe they should be killed. According to the Zionists, all Palestinian children are terrorists and must be destroyed. Dear Elon Musk, adopt an attitude worthy of human dignity and do not be with these murderers. Oh, too late. So we're right about three hours right now. So I was going to get into this, which I think we'll do tomorrow or the next day with the next show. The point is simple. Israel is to settle accounts with Qatar after the war. And that's that's a threat. They're saying because Qatar has a, a an official office for Hamas. So why is it they're only going after Gaza if their official office is in in Qatar? And the point being that there there are people that exist there, because as they say on the record, or uh, is right uh, here, I think somewhere down here. I'm, I'm going to get into it later, but the point is, I think it says, right now we need them. But when this thing passes from the world, Hamas, I think they mean, we will settle accounts with them. They're accusing them of working like what they're what they're doing. But so what's telling is that, you know, the very group that keeps saying there is no dealing with this group while they're making deals with this group or keep saying that we'll hunt them down wherever they are, except not in Qatar because we made a deal with them. It just screams dishonesty. It's not about Hamas. It's about Palestine. They're letting this group, they're letting Qatar a group that they're telling you they don't trust, that they'll go after once this is over, who literally works with Hamas and has a base or a, an office in their capital, they're letting this group mediate the talks. How does that make sense to anybody? So if they're telling you Hamas can't be trusted, and this is a group that literally works with Hamas, but we're going to let them mediate our peace talks? <laughs> I mean, it's, we're being lied to in very, very big ways all around the world. CIA directors pushing big hostage deal in secret meeting with Mossad chief. Right. So they're working on deals while screaming that there's no working with this group. So that's why we have to keep bombing. But let's quietly work with the group. It's all dishonest. All of it. Oh, you know what? I do have to go over this. We'll finish with this. I'm glad I didn't forget that. I would have been really mad. This is the one of the things in the title. So let's just let's just finish this segment and we'll finish this part later. It reads, all an Israeli foreign minister official vowed on this 29th of November that Tel Aviv plans to settle accounts with Qatar following the war. In an interview with Israeli military radio, 
Deputy Director of Strategic Affairs at Israel's Foreign Ministry, raised concerns over Qatar's role in everything related to hostage and legitimizing Hamas activities. Well, they allowed that. So it's a really think, weird thing to say now, but it says right now we need them. So obviously they're willing to work with even the people they're claiming are worthy of genocide to kill as long as they are benefiting what we need. So very honest, right? His comments came two days after the Jerusalem Post reported that Prime Minister Netanyahu has given Doha guarantees that Israel will not act against Hamas in Qatar. So you're literally allowing the leaders to not be killed. Why? So you can use them again later. That's how this is working. They want to annihilate Palestine. That's what's happening. Now, as, as Jimmy's been pointing out as well, it's about the pipelines and, and the canal opportunity. I really don't think that's the main reason, but it's clearly a, it's one of the reasons. Doha presented its, per, its precondition to Israel a few weeks ago. Before assuming its role as a mediator in the issues, Israel recently said it would carry out assassinations against Hamas leaders, whether or not a, a truce was in, in, in place. They said they would do this wherever they are. And he said that to Biden, clearly making it the insinuation that we'll kill them if they're in the United States. We don't care about your laws. Qatar has long financed the resistance group political leadership and host a Hamas political office. I mean, same point. It's, it's absurdly obvious. While having no official diplomatic relations with Israel, they obviously have close ties. Yeah, and then they, they just made, met with the CIA head, William Burns, which is this article in order in discussing a secret meeting for Israel's spy chief and Qatar's prime minister aimed at brokering an expansive deal. So you're literally working on a deal with the group that is housing the leadership of Hamas. How does that not seem ridiculous? Burns, of course, from the CIA is pushing for Hamas and Israel to broaden the focus of their ongoing negotiations to encompass men and military personnel as well. Israel's not going to do that. Crucially, Burns is pushing for the immediate release of American hostages. But keep bombing Gaza where the other Americans are, because we don't care about those ones. U.S. officials put the number of those at eight or nine, ignoring the hundreds that are left in Gaza. How obvious is that? Down here it says, Netanyahu speaking over the weekend, vowed to continue fighting after the current phase was done. We keep telling you this. We will return with full force to achieve our goals. Now, right there, you'd think, okay, that must be the hostages, right? They keep their number one game is about getting their people back. No, they say we will return with full force to achieve our goals. Plural. Then it says the elimination of Hamas and ensuring that Gaza does not return to what it was. Yeah. They didn't even mention the hostages. They don't care about them. If you're an Israeli, recognize that. The bombing alone should make you realize that they're secondary at the very least. They just made it clear. Once this is over, we're going right back to what we want to do, which is killing Hamas and bombing everything in Gaza. Oops, I guess they forgot the hostages, which is what they're telling everybody their main goal is. U.S. officials are concerned that if Hamas and Israel fail to negotiate a continuation, aid deliveries will falter again. Almost like some kind of magic trick, right? Just they'll magically stop coming. One objective Burns has in Qatar is to explore what kind of format or mechanism can be established to secure the flow of aid outside. Oh my God, Israel's stopping it from happening. It's like they're trying to make some kind of, we need to make sure we've got the right framework. And however, they, the only reason there's no aid coming through is because Israel's ensuring that it doesn't. But of course, they have to make it out to some kind of dynamic where we need a, a think tank to break down the logic of how we're, my God. 
there is agreement among all sides. The flow of aid into Gaza is not sufficient. Yeah, because that's the plan. But U.S. officials say the main challenge is not Israel, but security and logistical issues that don't allow for more than 200 trucks a day. Weird how that was happening consistently before this, though. So what are those security and Israel? That's what they are. Security and logistic issues are Israel's not allowing it. But that's their very cowardly, meek way of saying that. One potential solution is to enhance capacity at the Rafa boarding crossing, which separates Gaza and Egypt by replacing outdated security. Yeah, it's just the outdated cameras. That's all it is. Those funky old cameras won't let us bring food in. My God, these people think you're that stupid. As Sam Husseini points out, more evidence of the U.S. government pressuring Abbas into abrogating legal rights of Palestinians. This is why our government must invoke the Genocide Convention, which they're refusing to do, unless they're all glorified Abbas's, meaning puppets of Israel and the United States. The point? The United States is pressuring the Palestinian Authority to withdraw the request for the advisory opinion on the legality of the illegal Israel occupation. Why? Because they don't want that to be a talking point. What are they doing? According to The Guardian, diplomatic editor Patrick, whatever his name is, the U.S. is now telling the Palestinian Authority, the United States, to, they're telling them to pull out of the, of the international court if it wants Israel's agreement to let them into Gaza. So what they're saying is, don't make it clear that this is an illegal occupation and we will maintain your faux leadership will allow you to be in charge. Why is it Israel, the United States ability to allow that? If we're talking about a group that pretending was elected, who cares? Because they control everything like we always know, but they pretend otherwise when they want you to think otherwise, such pressure might also explain why Palestine has not gone to the court using the genocide convention. They're literally going, you will lose everything. We'll make sure you do. If you don't do what we say, as has always been. Now the cuts news network, makes another huge point very clear, and we'll end on this. They are very clearly planning on ethnically cleansing this area. We now have two different examples proving that. As Cuds News Network points out, Israeli Daily Israel Hayom, as I understand it, also Israel Today, has uncovered an initiative in the U.S. Congress, two Israel outlets, mind you, in the U.S. Congress to forcibly displace the populations of the Gaza Strip to four different countries. And the numbers have even been determined. The initiative calls for making U.S. aid to Arab countries conditional on their willingness to accept refugees from Gaza, meaning the U.S. government, who is already giving them international aid under all sorts of other contexts, will just remove that as if that's something they can do. I mean, they could. The point is, if you're claiming that you're giving them aid because they need it, then you're making it clear that you don't care about helping those people, that it's always been a means to an end, because that's the truth. These people do not care about the people they pretend they're helping. In fact, usually they hurt them while they pretend to help. The point is, they're going, we're going we're gonna to refuse to give you what you need unless you take these people. And we'll pay you for it too. But it's coercive. And these countries are very aware of the illegal occupation and don't want Israel to take all of the land that is not theirs. Of course, the other people like David and the rest of them will, will frame it as they know what Palestinians are really like. You know, constantly revealing their open, unbridled bigotry. The plan was presented to senior members of the House and Senate from both parties and received their blessing. According to the report, the one who publicly welcomed the proposal and is promoting it is a veteran House member, Joey Wilson. Egypt will be forced to open the way for the deportation, says the report, as it will, is the only passage 
and it will take its share, 1 million apparently, half a million people are scheduled for forcible transfer to Turkey, a quarter of a million to Yemen, you know, in another place they'll starve to death, and a quarter of a million to Iraq. Is this what any of those countries want? It doesn't matter. Now, this is from before. This is actually from the 30th of October. We already talked about this, but this is the beginning stages of this very plan. Now, well, the point was you can see the breakdown of where and how and how much. Showing you the amount of refugees, the amount of money they'll get for it, and their current aid that they're already getting. So that's, that's what's on the table. What they're saying is that's going to go away if you don't accept this, but you'll gain this much more kind of thing. And then here is the actual breakdown of the population, the number of refugees, and the current aid. This was simply talking about, this is U.S. Congress, the title, Reject Bill to Support Forced Israeli Displacement of Palestinians to Third Countries. This was already on the table. They already had documentation in the works about discussing how they might, they're framing it as, you know, human aid, humanitarian aid. But what it is essentially is a bribe for countries to take these people, which will then be a burden on them, like any peoples that need help. But more so will draw, I think, negative action from Israel. Because these people are not just going to go away. They're still going to want their territory. They are still going to see Israel as their enemy. And that will then turn Israel into the enemy of whoever takes them. That's what I believe. So they're already discussing this. And there's leaked documentation. And this is one of the this is one of the things that came out. This is from also from uh, Israeli media. The full document of the Ministry of Intelligence, the occupation of Gaza, and the transfer includes its residents. Now, guys, this is not even dispute, uh, contentious. We've already talked about this. This is the WikiLeaks confirmation of the earlier release plan that also discussed this. Here's a larger point of it. Or actually, oh, I thought I included that. Maybe not. Was it this one? No, it's the same one. Well, in any case, the point was, it's right here. This is the full document. I just thought I had another link open. Verified document from the Israeli Ministry of Intelligence from October 13th. Suggest forced displacement of Gaza to Egypt would yield positive and long-term strategic results. They discussed driving them to the south and then from there into the Sinai Desert. Now we've got the U.S. side of this where they're going to be funding the countries that take them and forcing them out, which seems to have always been the plan while screaming Hamas, which they clearly seem to be wanting to use again. The point, oh, that's why I included this. The United Nations is making it clear, we're staying in the North. We are maintaining our presence in Jablia and other areas in the North because we have hundreds of thousands of displaced people. Well, at this point, I'm not sure if it's still hundreds of thousands, but there are still people there that cannot move. So all that means is they're going to murder these people. As the doctor told you, they know they're probably going to die. Just think about how crazy that is. As they push them to the South, they've already pretended everyone in the North is now a terrorist, but these people are still present. At some point, they're probably going to get bombed and no one's going to care because they're going to say, well, they should have left. That's how gross this has gotten. Well, in general, this is just an older clip. I'll, I'll probably play in a different show. I just want to wrap this up today. But the point is, this is a clip about the old settlement project or the ongoing settlement project. It says, if you have any doubts about ISIS, Zionist settlers and their genocidal ambitions, this excerpt from the ABC Australia documentary, Stone Cold Justice Israel's Torture of Palestinian Children. And then, well, actually, why don't we just end with that? And we'll go through some of these other posts for later. Oh, hold on. 
don't know how I missed all this stuff today. So I'll show you this and then we'll finish with some points and wrap up today. So this is uh, shared by Vanessa Bealy for the podcast. And it's just a segment of this documentary. But, you know, this is the craziest part to me about all this. And it always has been since I've been doing this. How, just how obvious it is. Right? Like just blatantly. The information is right there in front of you. But this will never happen, according to Daniela Weiss, a founder of the settler movement. In the 1970s, Daniela Weiss would regularly meet Ariel Sharon, then Minister for Agriculture, to plan settlements so no Palestinian state could emerge. You and Ariel Sharon were determined there would not be a Palestinian state. With my many talks with Ariel Sharon and with my work with Ariel Sharon, there was a clear understanding, a very clear planning of spreading the the Jewish communities in the way that there will be no option for a Palestinian state in Judea and Samaria. That guys, that's the that's the open reality. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. They have never, ever, ever wanted that. They've told the world that, or rather they've lied through governments that know they're lying to you. So you think you could support them. So Christians around the world pretend they should support Israel when in reality it's a Zionist organization or a Zionist settler project that doesn't care. In fact, hates Christians. It's just, it's inherently dishonest. Despite international condemnation, settlement growth is surging. If a Palestinian child said to you, uh, what is the hope for me, for my future, to have my own state, what would you say to that child? This land was promised to the Jews by God. And uh, all of it. Except that's not the case, except it was the British government that gave it to them. And then at the, before that, they decided between multiple locations. But yeah, let's pretend God allowed all that. It's true that in course of history, Arabs came to this uh, area from all over. But the promise of God is more important than the changes in history. And the- right. So the point is, because I believe my God said this, which there's plenty of people that believe all sorts of things that their gods want them to do. Does that make it then okay? Obviously not. The political changes. That is why you have to put it deep, deep into your mind that you, that you do not have any chance whatsoever in any point of history, neither you nor any of your offsprings to ever have an independent state of your own here. Ever. That's the point. Always has been. Now, to finish, this is something that we've been talking about. The old from the river to the sea, right? That's racist and genocide supporting. That's what Elon said. Well, I just so people could see this to end, it's very important to understand. This, I said, well, here it is being used by the Likud party, Netanyahu's party, as part of their original party platform. Well, what do you know? And I've shown you this on Twitter. You can right now search the phrase. You'll find all sorts of Israelis using it, saying exactly this. Between the river and the sea, between the, between the sea and the Jordan, there will only be Israeli sovereignty. Right? So it's the same thing. One side says there'll be, Palestine will be free. The other one says Israeli sovereignty. Okay. So the point is, as he's saying here, clear call, this, the decolonialization, 
which by the way is, is ridiculous. It's like saying stopping bad things is now bad. From the river to the sea and similar euphemisms imply genocide. Okay, well, as I said, well, here it is being on the Lukud party, but I'm sure that's totally not the same thing at all, right, Elon? Oh, in case you want to see it on their own page here. Jewish Virtual Library, 1977, original party platform. Between the sea and the Jordan, there will only be Israeli sovereignty. And again, try it. Search for it. You'll find it. And Zachary Foster writes, when Palestinians make maps of Palestine without Israel, it's claimed they're anti-Semitic and seek to push Jews into the sea. When Israelis produce maps of Israel without Palestine, they're invited to give lectures around the world. This is how genocides are justified. Here's Naftali Bennett, one of the biggest liars of this whole process, saying this is the two-state solution. The majority of Jordanians are Palestinians, and all they say is here's British mandate over Palestine, and you can go to either Israel or Jordan. It's exactly the same thing. It's just that one side is allowed to do it. That's how disgusting this is. And people like Elon and Biden and even Trump and RKJ, all the people that are towing these lines are allowing this. And even worse, I frankly believe that they know that they are. And that makes me sick that we have these people, as I've always said, not just being bad people, but presenting and projecting positive. I'm an altruistic person fighting for your life and then doing the, doing the worst while pretending to save people, murdering people while claiming you're saving them their lives or helping, you know, it's the same as bombing these families and calling them terrorists and acting like what you did was spread freedom. It's disgusting. And thank God people are starting to find out, starting to see it and expose it and call it out. I didn't want it to be as long today, but I thought that was an important conversation. So thank you for tuning in. I might be doing a show tomorrow, but it depends on certain, certain factors. In fact, actually, I take that back. I'm definitely going to be playing an interview tomorrow that I've been wanting to get to. It wasn't time sensitive, so I've been putting it off. But it's an important one that has to do with the COVID case that I told you about, the trial where a friend of mine actually won. You might have seen, he already interviewed with, uh, with uh, Scott. But I wanted to talk to myself and have a conversation here because he's local as well. So that's going to come out tomorrow unless something changes, but that's my plan. The point is, though, that I'm going to try to do a show as well tomorrow, but we'll see. That, that's, you know, 50-50 at this point. But, you know, it's just, it's just so, it's so important. You know, I was th- thinking about this before, before the show today, just... I just, I sit here at the end and I'm like, I just, it's like, I just want to grab everybody and just reach out and say, can't you see what's going on? Can't you see the people that are being murdered in front of your eyes? Can't you see the lies they're spinning and the people that know that it's happening and we can tell that they don't care. And I just like, I just don't know how to make that impression. And I, I just, you know, I speak from the heart. I end the show and I just want you to know what I'm thinking and how I feel about it. And I think that resonates with people, but it's like, it's gotten to this point where I'm just like, I'm almost at a loss for how I can connect with people out there that don't see it. And I'm just trying to relay that. So help me, help me get this to people. Help me influence the people out there that are good people who may be manipulated by the propaganda or just aren't aware of the information who care. Let them see what's really going on. And that goes well beyond just Israel. Let them see what we see. Let them understand and not just here's the narrative or here's the hyperbolic situation or they're all trying to do, give them the facts just like we were doing with COVID-19, right? And get them involved in the conversation, get them interested in the reality that we can prove and then have a conversation about it. And if you disagree, make that a positive thing. It's okay that we disagree. We should have these conversations and let's talk about it again tomorrow. There, we used to exalt, we used to engage with that. We used to point at that as something we were proud of. 
today, it's almost like we spit it out of our mouth like some kind of venom. How dare you acknowledge that other thought? Sort of like a clip, by the way, that, that uh, Jimmy uh, Dore just put out about Ben Shapiro. Just absolutely dismantling. He, I mean, the guy is an absolute fool today, and everyone's seeing through what he's doing. His completely one-sided arguments, his hypocrisy. What they did was share a clip of what he was saying about the whole woke mindset of colleges. You know, you can't have your ideas challenged, find a safe space, you know, that kind of thing. Facts don't care about your feelings. And now he's literally doing the same. Censor the people that say these things. Challenge, you know, how we can't allow these people that don't think like us to have these kind of ideas. I mean, it's just crazy. And I think that shows that either compromised or that never truly honest in the first place. Just my opinion, but I hope you'll decide for yourselves. The point is that I really think that people are exposing themselves through all this process, and it's just one of the most obvious things in the world. So that's why I think independent media, like us or others in the same area, you know, nonpartisan objective platforms are what are important. Listen to everybody, come to your own conclusions as always, but I think if you support the people out there that are honestly and obviously doing everything in their power to remain objective and give you the nonpartisan truth to a fault, I mean, we need that right now. We need to go the other direction to show, like, you know, to counterbalance the absurd reality that we're seeing today. In every aspect of large platforms and corporate media and independent media, it's just everywhere. But there's a lot of good people out there, too. There's always a lot of good people fighting for good things in every circumstance. And don't lose sight of that. There's a lot, just like with everything we've talked about in the past, there's so many bad things happening. You know, and of course, unfortunately, what we do is highlight those things, but usually from a sense of, you know, we're seeing things change and we can, we can make a difference here. So don't lose that, that positive side of it. We will use this to change what's going on. I'm determined. I'm sure as hell, I, I can tell that you are. So let's make a difference. Thank you for being here. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.